welcome to another corn stream. God help me. I hope at some point I can rename this to another series. I am really tired of the whole quarantine thing, but you know, it's been a year at this point. God help us. Um, I am your host, Joe Magician. As you may remember, a few weeks back on my Weirwood stream, I got a lot of questions about the also very mysterious shade of the evening trees in Essos. But, you know, I didn't really want to answer too much because there's someone I know who has all the answers about those black and blue trees, which are kind of like bruises. Now that I'm thinking about it, they're like bruised trees. Uh, anyway, lo and behold, the one and only Amanda, a.k.a. Crowfood's daughter, a.k.a. the Disputed Lands, has joined me today to take a journey to Halcyon Dying and reveal some of their secrets about their spooky trees. Hey, Amanda. Hey. And hey, everyone. Um, and thanks for having me. Um, my name is Amanda. I go by Crowfood's daughter. Um, I do have a YouTube channel. It's called The Disputed Lands. And my very first video that I ever did was on the shade of the evening tree and comparing it to Weirwoods and discussing their connection to the oily black stone. And um, so I always had a lot of really good feedback about that. And I really do enjoy talking about the trees. So I'm excited to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I watched that one again today just to refresh myself. I'm like, it's one of those videos where people tell me this happens with mine sometimes uh, while I was watching it. And it's been a long time since I watched it. But every time you said something, I was like, oh, what about this? And then the next point you made was that thing. I was like, she's on it. She's got <laughs> she's going down the same line of thinking. Uh, so that's that's always good compliment to theories. Um, and, and you have more stuff coming up about the trees, right? More secret yes. stuff. Yes, um, I'm going to be talking about the trees. I'm going to be talking about Azor High. I'm going to be talking about swords and um, all kinds of different uh, things that hopefully um, everybody else will appreciate as much as I do. So I, I'm enjoying the, the writing process at least. So, what you enjoy the writing process? What? I, I actually enjoy it more, uh, 10 times more than the um, video making process. Oh, well, that's true. And video making sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the research, in the, like the research part mm-hmm. is the absolute best part. Um, if I didn't have to do the writing, if I could just <laughs> um, sit here and just, you know, talk about it the entire mm-hmm. time, you know, that would be great. But I have a problem with organization and organizing my thoughts. So I have to write it down and organize it because it's all chaos. Like it's chaos up here. And if I were to just, you know, try and ex- explain it all at one time, um, it, it, it won't, it won't turn as out as well as the video. And then you get to add pretty pictures and stuff. So very pretty pictures. Yeah, that's yeah. true. It's the same thing where like, um, the writing process, what, what I write down initially in my outlines and stuff is like, nowhere near what, what I end up reading, especially when I hand it off to other people to edit and they come back mm-hmm. and said, Matt, this thing here that you wrote two pages later should go up here. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's not how I thought mm-hmm. of it though. And they're like, it has to be like, it has to make sense. It has to be logical. I'm like, oh, come exactly. on. It's not how my brain works. It doesn't work exactly. in an orderly fashion. Exactly. That's so, how it goes. Um, yeah. So I have to do the video process. I have to write it down, organize it, make pretty pictures and put it out. But um, if I could just like, you know, stay in my hole and, you know, brainstorm, um, that would that would be my like internal, you know, that, that would be perfect. That would be my life right there. But uh, you know who else does that? Just some guy that's sitting up in the hills of Santa Fe in a weird cabin. I know. I know. He's living. the He's living the dream right now. <laughs> he's living pure the dream. creation. <laughs> just just pure creation. Although for him, it's probably a nightmare at this point. But anyway, 
Um, <laughs> uh, before we get going, I uh, thought we could do some uh, just some promo stuff. Get out of the way as usual. Um, hit the like button, subscribe, hit the little bell button if you want to get notifications because YouTube is very, um, very particular about what you have to hit in order to actually see videos, which is quite annoying. Uh, if you're watching this on replay, leave a comment. Um, I actually put up a poll beforehand. I don't know if you guys saw this. There's been a thing about polls recently. I'm trying to use them more. But essentially, I said, um, the question was, what do you think the shade and the evening trees are outside the house and dying? So the options I put up were corrupted weirwoods, ebony or ironwood trees, uh, something from Lovecraft. Another option, which got 2% of the vote was, I don't remember or know what you're talking about. So that was good. And then uh, the, <laughs> and the last option at 24% was whatever Amanda says they are. So, you know, <laughs> nice. So, you know, put down in the comments um, what you think they are, preferably at the end of the stream, because that will have a lot more information. Um, also want to say thank you to two new patrons since last week, uh, Kyle99 and Margaret G. We signed up at Maester and Archmaester levels. Um, let's see here. Oh yeah, so and uh what you get for signing up for Patreon at patreon.com slash Joe Magician. Get access to videos early, you get behind the scenes content, you get access to the very, very special patron Slack. Um patron only episodes. Next one coming up will be about Sand Kings, George's best novella, I would say. That's not in the Song of Ice and Fire universe. One that I reread recently and then gave me nightmares for two nights. So it's good, but it's also a very creepy horror story where it's much better than Meat House Man, I'll say. Although everything's better than Meat House Man. Fuck that story. Um, let's see here. Also, uh, make sure you slam that like button. If we get up to 150 likes, got my old, got the old wizard hat sitting back here. And at 175, I'll put on the firm hat, which I seem to have misplaced. If we get there, I'll find it. Promise. <laughs> where that one went. And I don't know if you guys saw it. I recently uh, launched a threadless shop with a whole bunch of shirts that have been showing off, uh, showing up recently. The Slack has been ablaze uh, with people with pictures of people wearing them. Um, let me just show that off for you. There we go. That's what the threadless shop looks like. Got four designs up. We got the old spooky tree logo, which is the current favorite. Got the new one, the, um, the little magician guy, Maui Drew, just the hat. And then the ever popular ass waffle, <laughs> which is that one is <laughs> that one is interesting. People are posting pictures of themselves wearing it, and it is something else to see. I actually got mine. Uh, hang on a second. I got myself a blanket so far. Very soft and very pretty. Nice. <laughs> and you can get the ass, uh, the ass waffles in um, leggings now, too, right? Yeah. Launch the <laughs> leggings with. um <laughs> With little ass waffles all over them. A um, bunch of people bought them already. They're going to look ridiculous. <laughs> but I think that's part of the thing. If you guys don't get the joke, by the way, ass waffle is um, we on Maester Monthly and in the uh, Song of Ice and Fire mod team, which Amanda is a part of, by the way. If you didn't know that, she's also a mod. Um, we joke about what's the correct way to pronounce a Song of Ice and Fire, the acronym. And we decided it was ass waff, which then turned into ass waffle. So Peter. We're very clever. We're very, very clever <laughs> and funny. That, that's why that's why it makes a good thing. <laughs> um, so we got that going on. And yeah, I think that's all the promo and stuff. I mean, I have, I have upcoming videos. I'm me doing something about Lady Stoneheart's plans for the Winds of Winter in my next video, uh, which will be a very spooky one itself. And I want to say thank you to the um, we have a bunch of super chats and super stickers that have come through already before we started. 
Uh, let's see here. Three dollars from Mike. I, it said, I'll be back. I'm assuming this was days ago because I didn't, I didn't see this one pop up. Uh, before the stream, uh, patron Ramona Zanfir gave 10 pounds. Thank you very much, Ramona. Um, a diamond super sticker from Stephanie Spain for a dollar. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. $49 from Maura Lee, who I guess is just, just raining, making it rain on us basically at this point. Um, just an immense show of love, support, and appreciation to Joe and also to dear Amanda for the excellent content. Looking forward to learning more about these unusual trees. Well, you are in luck. You are in luck. This is, this is the stream for you. Um, $10 from, uh, here be dragons, AKA Steven Stark, who showed off his, his Joe magician gear on Twitter looked great on him. Although the basketball was huge. It was like his entire chest. Did I you see like that? it. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I saw the picture and I actually like the size of it. I, I did go into the pattern and shrink them a little bit. It's not supposed to be going around into your armpit. The design, <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on there. Um, and he's uh, Stephen Stark, who was probably playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah, there it is. Playing Dungeons and Dragons, so can't stay. But I want to say hi to my favorite theory crafter. Oh, oh, wait a second. Also want to say hi to Matt as well. Uh, roasted <laughs> by Stephen. Unreal. Unreal, Stephen. Unfair. He's a joker. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Anyway, uh, I'm really looking forward to watching this later. Well, hope you enjoy it on the on the watchback, Stephen. Five dollars from uh, Joan Evans um, with a sticker saying "Keep it up." Okay. Well, it's actually a little guy work, uh, working out. So that's basically Amanda, who is ripped and will kill you. Very very strong. And then, uh, wow, we've got a long. <laughs> we're st I'm still reading these. This is. This must just be for you. And then uh, from Mallory, she sent in a uh, $1.50 and a little peach sticker for the ass waffles. Oh, thank you, Mallory. Thank you, guys. Um, so I thought we'd get going. And with the actual like stream itself, now we're done with like the promoing stuff and all that kind of things. So we got two quotes here. Um, which one do you want to read, Amanda? Oh, um, I will take the first one. Okay. Um, so this is going to be... Um, Danny in a clash of Kings at the house at the end dying. And mm -hmm. she is taking her first sip of shade of the evening. So it says the first sip tasted like ink and spoiled meat foul. But when she swallowed, it seemed to come to life within her. She could feel tendrils spreading through her chest, like fingers of fire coiling around her heart. And on her tongue was a taste like honey and anise and cream, like mother's milk and Drogo seed, like red meat and hot blood and molten gold. It was all the taste she had ever known and none of them. And then the glass was empty. I know the feeling. That's like when you have fireball and just like goes through your chest and doesn't taste like anything, but it tastes like everything. And it's like, oh, it's gross first. And it's like, no, this is cinnamon and nice. And I enjoy this. Um, still not a fan after reading this many times of the whole tasting like Drogo seed part. George, come on, let's let's. Let's, let's not do that one. The rest of it was fine. I always read that part and just go, mm. <laughs> mm. I should have made you read that one then. I know. I was <laughs> hoping <laughs> I didn't want to, I didn't want to sway you, but I was hoping you were going to read it because I never like it. Uh, and then the second quote here is from Bran when he uh, is eating the weirwood seed paste. There are no weirwood seeds. We've never seen a weirwood seed. Doesn't have any. So big questions about that. Hashtag Jojen paste. But here we go. Very similar. It goes, 
It had a bitter taste, though not so bitter as acorn paste. The ferns, the first spoonful was the hardest to get down. He almost wrenched it right back up. The second tasted better. The third was almost sweet. The rest he spooned up eagerly. Why had he thought it was bitter? It tasted of honey, of new fallen snow, of pepper and cinnamon, the last kiss his mother ever gave him. The empty bowl slipped from his fingers and clattered to the cavern floor. I don't feel any different. What happens next? The, la- the last thing someone says after they had their first sip of alcohol, and then they're like, oh, I feel totally fine right before they get wrecked and they, lo- <laughs> they lose control of themselves. Silly brand. You don't know what the hell's about to happen to you. Um, I mean, the reason we're reading these up front is I think those are the two biggest pieces of evidence that the Weirwoods and the Shade of the Evening Trees are in some way similar. Those are almost one-to-one tastes. There's also, uh, we get Victorian Greyjoy says the same thing. So does Aaron, where the Shade of the Evening and the Weirwood paste are like identical down to the, almost to the word and the way that it goes from like very sweet things to almost like, it's like tasting, I'm, I'm not sure the right way. It's like. It's tasting experiences rather than like an actual taste anymore. It's like it goes right to your head. Apparently, this is like just getting wrecked for the first time. You took your per- your first puff on a joint and just lost your damn mind. Absolutely. It's kind of like smells when uh, you smell a familiar smell and mm-hmm. then all these memories will come back to you. It, it, it reminds me of that. Um, and there are two di- differences in the tasting experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, now you first mentioned how um, with. Uh, shade of the evening it, it's kind of like fireball <laughs> and you get these very very like hot <clears throat> mm-hmm. these very like hot associations so it's like fingers of fire coiling around your heart and you have like molten gold and of course molten gold is very hot um but also when you compare that to bran and his uh tasting experience you actually have some cold um, oh, true. Ex- uh associations because it tastes like new fallen snow and it tastes like a lot more pure things. So like, um, you know, pepper and cinnamon and the last kiss his mother ever gave him. And then you compare that to, um, molten gold, which is associated with like greed Mm -hmm. and killing your brother, Drogo's seed, which is, you know, not as innocent, um, you know, just a, a lot of different things. So, um, and also a bitter taste can be associated with things that aren't quite ripe yet. Whereas um, something that's foul or spoiled um, is something that it sounds more like a corrupted and um, is, is kind of like, <clears throat> in a sense, on the opposite end. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are, um, obviously, the two tasting experiences are so, so similar. But there's um, some interesting like ice and fire um, associations with um Weirwood being a little bit more icy and Shade of the Evening being a little bit more fire. And um, also with the Shade of the Evening being a little bit more spoiled, foul, corrupt, etc. So, um, yeah, uh, I actually did a live stream with um, Amy, uh, um, Amy Blackfire mm-hmm. on YouTube. And we actually talked about um, the Shade of the Evening trees maybe being a little bit more of a corruption yeah. of the Weirwood tree which it was a really interesting conversation and there's a lot of um, different things to suggest that as well. So, so um, there's that. Well, especially the idea that if it's tasting like spoiled meat and fowl, that's often the, like you're talking about, that's the taste of fermentation and you don't, you can't, you don't just have to ferment wine, which is, they say it's the wine of the shade of the evening, but you can ferment meat and stuff like that. And it ends up doing the same sort of thing. And people, there's actually 
some really interesting research of people that genetically don't have a taste for bitter. And it's specific, like you said, it's to guard yourself against from being poisoned. But over time, it's sort of a taste along with uh, the other one's called umami or something. Yeah, umami, mm-hmm. where it's the bitterness and, um, and umami, which is kind of like a meaty, sort of like fiery taste. Those mm-hmm. are the taste of like civilization, basically. Those are the ones we developed after we started farming. Those are the ones after we started making beer, all those other kind of things. So it's interesting that George has chosen those as the flavors that for these kind of things. Um, also, it seems like there's also the taste of honey is similar between them. Um, it, it's it's one of those things where I was talking about this, with, I think, with uh, Bookshelf Stud a while back. We did a video about the House of the Undying. But the similarities and the experiences between Bran and Danny. It's almost like he wrote the Bran one in reflection of the Danny one. Like the same exact things happen. It's just like a little bit stranger. Before we get to that, um, I thought a good thing to, to go over is like, okay, so what exactly are we talking about? What the hell is a shade of the evening tree? Because they pop up basically once and then they're gone. You could flip a page and miss it entirely. Okay, so um, let me actually, that's a good question. Let me go over the search of ice and fire. And um, oh, I thought I had that up. I told you I pulled that up and I swear <laughs> I did. did. I what guess happened? I didn't. Oh, I did, I swear. Unbelievable. Okay, so we're going to go over um, that. So the Shade of the Evening Tree, it, I, I know that it does appear in Clash of Kings. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the second book. Um, search of Ice and Fire. Um, and there, even though the uh, the tree is, is mentioned, I, I think you're correct, in just that one instance over at the House of the Undying, the substance is actually mentioned in a, lot, in a yeah. number of different places mm-hmm. throughout the series. And... Um, Anyway, it's interesting because it's actually my belief that um, we've always talked about George's gardening style of mm-hmm. writing. And um, it's my belief that George originally wanted to use the ironwood tree as um, as his creepy black tree. Mm-hmm. So if you go into the search of ice and fire... Um, and you type in Ironwood, okay, you are going to get 12 results, okay? Of those 12 results, uh, nine of those um, instances that Ironwood is mentioned is actually in a Game of Thrones. Yeah, it's really early, and in Winterfell yes. most of the time. Yes, and so, um, and then all of the mentions of Ironwood basically drop off the series, except for three that are peppered throughout, you know, like once in one book or once in another book. Um, and also so the game, he, the Telltale Games thing. Exactly. And, um, and so it's my belief because we even see it. I mean, we have um, one, uh, the Night's Watch brother being executed on mm-hmm. an Ironwood stump. We see the crypts of the, of Winterfell and, um, the door is ironwood. Um, and anyway, I think that because in a clash of Kings, that's when we don't, you know, we, that's the next book and ironwood is, is almost not mentioned at all. And then shade of the evening is mentioned. Yeah. And, um, we are introduced to this black bark tree in Esos. And so it's my, um, it's of my belief that the author had originally intended for the shade of the evening tree 
to have been the Ironwood tree. Mm-hmm. And um, he kind of retconned that in A Clash of Kings. He never does and that. So, That's, he would no, never, never abandon something. Never does that. Never abandons anything. No. Um, <laughs> and so that's why you get that almost complete drop off after a Game of Thrones of the Ironwood tree mm-hmm. and why you get the introduction of the Shade of the Evening tree in A Clash of Kings. And Ebony. And they both sort of come up at the same time. Yes. Yes, exactly. And um, and also you get a lot of that black and white dichotomy that you see um, uh, throughout the series as well. And you can take that as like the nice wash versus the others, or you could take that as possibly the black tree versus the white tree. And those two, it's possible that those two, um, if anybody ever tries to do a deep dive, might actually be, be related, you know, the white tree versus the black tree, um, the, the white others versus the black brothers. So um so there's there's that. Uh, but yeah, so if one was to do an analysis of the Ironwood tree in A Game of Thrones, knowing that the author had originally wanted to use that as his shade of the evening tree, you can actually um, come up with some some more interesting stuff as well and some more interesting ideas because they're used in some pretty significant ways. Like mm-hmm. I said, um, the the door to the crypts of um, Winterfell um, the Night's Watch brother who deserted um, was executed on an ironwood stump. And then, so you can see that as possibly like a sacrifice, right? Um, if that was supposed to be a shade of the evening stump um, in, a, in the same way that if they were to use a weirwood stump mm-hmm. um, and then uh, the, that sword is then cleaned over at the weirwood pond um, over on Winterfell, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things with that. But uh, anyway, so yeah, A a Clash of Kings, uh, The Shade of the Evening is introduced. And um, the trees themselves are only seen over in the House of the Undying, but we do get a lot of information, um, you know, about the warlocks of Karth Mm -hmm. and the Undying ones themselves. And then we get um, all of this stuff leading up to Euron in the Forsaken chapter. Um, and all of it is kind of um, Lovecraftian in, in yeah. a sense. And that's kind of what I talk about in. Um, right at the end, you get you, you like pepper in a little bit of uh, like Lovecraft at the end. Um, right. They're, they're such they're very, very strange trees, even more than Ironwoods, um, because these are black bark trees, but they have blue leaves. And that's one of those things that it should be like. When have you ever seen a tree or a plant with blue leaves? Almost never. They're very, very rare. And when they do come in nature, they're usually conifers, like um, blue spruces and that kind of thing. There's sometimes flowers, but leaves of trees are almost never blue. And there's a good reason for that. Uh, I, I decided to look into the biology because I love looking at the biology of the stuff and going like, oh, yeah, chlorophyll, George, right? Yeah, it has to do with chlorophyll. Yeah. The chlorophyll reflects mm-hmm. green light, which makes them which makes tree leaves uh, green. They're, they're not blue. They don't reflect blue because blue is a very high energy visible wavelength. So actually, if you go and down in my basement, I don't know if you guys saw it. I was uh, I do gardening and stuff now. I've done it since last year. The lights you buy in order to encourage growth is specifically you want the blue wavelength. It's such high energy that it's exactly what the plants want. So the idea of having a tree with blue leaves is almost telling you in a way that it's like there's something very unnatural about this. No, almost no plants that uh, that use chlorophyll in order to grow themselves would be giving up blue light, which is what's what's happening. So I don't know if George is anywhere aware of any of that, but it is kind of 
that's why that's one of he's probably just playing on the idea that it's like a blue tree. I've never seen one. Oh, that's kind of weird. But this is the reason why it's unnatural. It doesn't happen. And when you look at the weirwoods that have already come through with their um, their white bark, but their their crimson red leaves all year long. That's another thing that's supposed to just like be going off in your head. It's like, wait, I have seen spooky, weird trees already. Maybe these are also spooky, weird trees. And it's like a very subtle way of um, just kind of showing off the similarities and actually to make the, the thumbnail for this video. I, this is probably what George did. I just inverted a weirwood. So you just went into Photoshop, used the filter or the uh, the edit for invert and the white bark turned black, the red leaves turned blue. And that's probably just what George is doing. It's just an inversion of the other thing. Um, this is also, like you said, this is the only place we've ever seen shade the evening trees. They show up nowhere else. You talked in your video that maybe there's some in Ulthos, um, the big purple jungles, which is a weird color for jungles, but they don't pop up anywhere else and they have no faces carved. I was thinking about that when we when I was reading back, I'm like, even the if a Quebron up in uh, up near Ib, they do carve their trees with faces. But we learned from from the stories of the ancient stories that the children of forest did not carve the faces until after the pact. Which tells you that if these are weirwoods, the children lost control of them long, long ago before they could carve the faces like they did everywhere else in the world. Exactly. And um, you'll notice with the um, uh, House of the Undying and with, um, you know, the histories of the Ephiquebron and what we actually see, we don't actually see any children of the forest now, do we, over in Esos? And it's said that they've all been extinguished. Maybe. So at this <laughs> point, when we take a look at the shade of the evening tree, the, the, the uh, stewards of these trees are actually a man. And <laughs> if you want to call them a steward. Um, but, uh, the, the people who have, um, who are utilizing this magic isn't the children anymore. It's man. And, um, that may actually, um, tie into why, uh, these trees are good at giving off all those, uh, spoiled, corrupt, um, you know, foul connotations. And, um, I actually like to, I prefer to use, use the term poisoning in fact, mm. because I think that, um, that's a key term that George R. R. Martin is using and alluding to when he he's uh, discussing the shade of the evening as possibly a poisoning of those trees, and so it's possible that man had um, man's uh, use of those that magic had had caused that. So it's pretty interesting. There's also a House Blackwood. Um, it says that their weirwood was poisoned. Although one of the interesting things, somebody in the chat said this earlier, I missed the name. But they are talking about the, the ironwoods and the ironwoods are primarily in the wolfswood, which are where the blackwoods are from. So in the past, uh, myself and others have thought about like, well, maybe the blackwoods are named like house woods and they're like the blackfish. They're like the black in front of it is supposed, is supposed to say like their disgraced house. But maybe not. Maybe their sigil used to actually have a black tree on it of the ironwoods. And when they move south, they change it to the weirwood. They um, they now consider their home. I mean, it's one of the only places that there actually are black trees like this in Westeros, and it's where they're from. Kind of an interesting connection. Yes, I think that um, I actually am formulating a, a theory about that, and um, I, we may be able to segue into it later. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get into it because it's um, pretty complicated, and there's a lot of moving parts that um, I, I'm still um, researching 
But uh, anyway, um, one thing that I do want to talk about with the Ironwoods mm-hmm. is the author's um, inspiration for Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn by Tad Williams. Mm-hmm. And um, if you've watched Gray Area in the past, she actually did a whole series on Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. Um, and relating how George R. R. Martin has said in the past how much Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn had influenced his writing and had influenced his um, decision to start writing. Uh, Song of Ice and Fire. And there are a lot of parallels and um, gray area actually goes into um, how many parallels there there actually are in A Song of Ice and Fire. And um, one of the interesting things is um, the mention of the forging of sorrow. And she talks about how the um, forging of sorrow uh, reminds her of the forging of Lightbringer. And there are some similarities, but the thing that I found the most interesting was actually um, the components of sorrow. So um, <clears throat> in Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, they have a tree very, very similar to um, the Weirwood tree, and it's called the Witchwood tree. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a, a fairy folk that kind of revere and worship this um, specific tree. Uh, and like many fae in mythology and different um, myths and legends, um, they hate iron. And man had came to Austin Ard um, and invaded, and they had iron, which the Sithi could not stand against. So um, because of that, there was this um, guy, and his name was Analuki, and he was a, um, a Sithi prince. Mm-hmm. And he decided that um, he was tired of, um, you know, having to uh, deal with their their entire civilization being thrown back by by men. So what he did was he um, incorporated um, something that was poisonous to the witchwood trees, and it was iron. And yeah. um, and that that made actually um, almost all of the witchwood trees die in, in his attempts to do this, but one actually did survive. Uh, because the, the iron is poison, just like it is to the fae, it's poison to the trees as well. But one did um, actually uh, uh, survive. And that's where sorrow was uh, actually forged from, was from um, the, the mixture of the iron mm-hmm. with the witchwood tree. And what's interesting is, you know, it's we're talking about a poisoning of a tree, of this witchwood tree. Uh, and with the use of iron. So in George R. R. Martin's story, there's actually a hint with the iron wood tree mm-hmm. um, as a poisoning to those trees as well. And so we get like the blackwood tree is, um, is said to be poisoned. Uh, we hear talk of all, all of Euron's gifts are poison. Yeah, uh, that's true. repeated over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And another name for a gift is a talent, right? So true. like skin changing. So you could say that um, his uh, green gift has been poisoned <gasps> um, in a sense. You're on the bad guy. Yes. What? Yeah. Um, and Crazy. then when Victorian is offered the drink, he's asking Euron if he's trying to poison him. Yeah, true. Um, there's there's actually um, this keyword with poison is peppered throughout the entire series. And then um, if you take a look at the theory that um, uh, a meteor, like the Bloodstone Emperor, had uh, caused the long night, uh, we have this, um, and I think this is in the outline, so I, I may be jumping around. But, um, but you know, they said that the Bloodstone Emperor had used, um, had uh, worshipped a black stone that fell from the sky. 
Um, and then we take a look at the um, color out of space. It's talking about yep. a black rock that fell out of space that poisoned and blighted the land. Yep. And uh, when we take a look at a shy, we have all of these associations with poison. Nothing can live there. Mm-hmm. Um, it said that, uh, you know, uh, children, no children can be found there, that you can't drink the water because it's poisoned. Um, you know, uh, nothing grows there. It's, uh, uh, there's all these associations with poison. And so a lot of the um, poison poisons like a uh, strangler and all different kinds of things can be um, found in a shy uh, and people dabble in poisons in a shy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stones in Sansa's hair were said to be uh, stones uh, from a shy yep. uh, amethyst from a shy, all these different things. So, um, so what what I feel the author is trying to do is show that these trees are, in a sense, um, uh, have been poisoned. In a sense, that makes sense. So. Uh, one thing is that there are actually real ironwood trees. These are not a fictional, like um, a fictional one, like the weirwoods, which are completely fictional. Uh, there's the regular ironwood trees, which grow throughout the, um, kind of the Northeast. They're just uh, like, exactly like George describes them. They're very hard. They have black wood. Uh, they're kind of unassuming trees, but then there's also the desert ironwood, which is a very, um, slight version that lives in kind of like regions around Karth. But I think what ended up happening was with the weirwoods, he decided he wanted to make his magic trees, not real ones. So he could do whatever he wanted with them. And he initially was like, oh, maybe ironwoods or maybe ebony trees. I'll, I'll make them like the opposites. And then he just sort of thought to himself after a while, you know, I think I should just make these magical. I think I'll just make up new ones that are basically the same, but I can give them whatever properties I want because I, I can give them their weird blue leaves. I can make the leaves psychedelic when people eat them or whatever. And it's like, that makes a lot more sense. That's much more fantasy. And I, I would guess that's probably what happened here. Um, yeah. Um, one of the things that I have noticed is um, he did actually make the Ironwoods a little bit magical. A little so bit, yeah. when you look at the uh, Telltale games, I think that, um, you know how you said that George uh, is kind of like a collector yes. and he doesn't like Pack to throw rat. things away. Um, I think that, uh, and and I, I love that, that, that train of thought because I think that he actually gave the video game um, the... Uh, the attributes that he was originally going to give the ironborn or not the ironborn, the <laughs> iron woods. Uh, uh, yeah. Because uh, in the, the game, they, they do have some very interesting qualities and in the game um, they burn blue and um, there's, there's this, there's an association with magic and be, making them um, able to burn because it's, it's said that to be very, very difficult to burn, but um for example, you, uh, I think that, oh, I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong, um, people in the chat who have played Telltale, but um, one of the, I think it was Talia's singing, um, which when you think of singing, you think like Children of the Forest, like helped the trees burn and, and different um, things like that. So mm-hmm. um, anyway. I did look into yeah. the, the blue burning wood thing. Apparently it's not that uncommon. There are different kinds of real trees that do that. It's just that when you, when you buy firewood, the commercially available ones, the ones that are like bundled up and sold in grocery stores just aren't those, but it, you definitely, there are definitely are trees that burn blue. I thought that was magical too. And I was like, Oh, that's just a real thing. George, come on. Yeah. But there's also the association with the skin changing as yeah. well. Um, because they, they have this like secret, um, 
uh, grove beyond the wall that mm-hmm. uh, the um, who is it that is the um, the the house that has oh it's House Ironwood isn't it no. Forrester Forrester okay yep. thank House you Forrester yeah it's uh, House Forrester his bastards actually um, tend the grove that's north of the wall and they're all skin changers. Oh. Which is um, interesting as well. They're all skin changers. More than so. one spooky tree. Which again goes to your point that like it doesn't have to be just one spooky tree that skin changers are attracted to or find some kind of connection to. Like the ebony trees, which we know are in George's world from the Summer Isles. There's also similarities in their religions and their myths that sound also like they had skin changers. There's a lot of tree worship in that area too. So it's kind of like maybe this is just like a worldwide thing. We're just seeing like one narrow slice that happens to be the um, this local variety of spooky psychic trees that skin changers are all about praising for some reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another interesting thing that I um, had noticed with um, the house forester sigil is um, the sword in the tree, mm. um, which is kind of reminiscent of the tale of Analuki forging a blade out of the witchwood tree and iron. And one of the interesting things, when you take a look at when ice was reforged, it said that um, uh, as many times as uh, the, the cohort Smith had tried to reforge and infuse a certain color, he said that it seemed to um, drink the morning sun and drink yeah. the light and drink the color mm-hmm. from the blade. And you get the same type of description in a shy, which has that black stone and also over in the house of the undying. And so when you see that sigil with the um, sword in the tree, it's, it's very um, evocative of also um, the, uh, um, the that tale of the sword being made out of the um that sacred tree and uh when then when you take a look at how dawn is described dawn is said to um be a, a pale as milk glass to have a certain glow coming out of it and when you take a look at how the tree is described over in the night the night fort uh, we're at the black gate mm-hmm. it is described as um like pale as milk or pale, pale as a milk glass and also emanating a, a light as well. So it's possible, and this is something that I'm working on actually, is that um, one of the key ingredients is somehow the um, the trees, which would make sense. Yeah. You know, we see weirwood weapons all over the place. The children are famous for them. There's weirwood staffs. There's, mm-hmm. they make everything out of this stuff because it's just amazing, especially after it petrifies. So especially the idea that it doesn't need um, that doesn't need to be sharpened. That seems to work with the ideas that George has said about weirwoods in general, where after you build them, they basically just sit there forever. Um, I mean, it's kind of kind of shitty to do and the children of forest won't like you for it, but they did themselves. Like they could, they could make one weirwood bow and it could last a thousand years as long as they didn't break it. So it would make, it would make sense that at some point someone said, well, what if we tried to make this into a sword? What would happen? Right, right, and if the if the uh, like the White Walkers or the others were created with the magic of the Children of the Forest, you would assume that um, some associations with that magic of the Children of the Forest might be used to undoing uh, undo them as well. So mm-hmm. um, there's that as well. Oh, I want to say uh, thank you to Danny McKay who sent five dollars on PayPal. Thank you very much, Danny. And uh, oh, your previous. Um, you were talking about Amy Blackfire. She sent in $10. Uh, 
Uh, she said, great topic and amazing guest. Loved having Amanda on my channel. Talk about this. Yes. I'm sure it was also an amazing time. Amanda just knows so much about all this stuff. Um, one thing that's, that's very strange though, about the, um, the shade, the evening trees, as they're described, they're just like kind of those weird blue and black trees outside of them is that unlike kind of what we see with other trees is that they're, they're being used to make this kind of strange drink from their leaves, which is, it's not that weird to make a drink from leaves of plants and trees. Like that's pretty normal tea, that kind of stuff you make, um, you make tequila from agave leaves, that kind of thing. But what it is strange is what the shade in the evening looks like. It has the consistency of honey and is super, super thick. I don't know of any drinks that you make from leaves mm -hmm. that look it's that way, which in my mind raises some questions about like, what are this, what are the warlocks adding to make, to make this kind of fermented gloopy wine? Because that's the kind of thing that would make if you were making mead or something like that, that's the kind of consistency. No, not even that. That's, that's too watery. This is, it, this is, it's a very strange drink. What, what do you think about that? Do you think there's some elements of maybe Jojen paste going on here? That's leaves plus something else. The idea of the oh, spoiled do you, meat. Do you think that it thickens? The what? Sorry. Do you think that it's possible that it thickens like blood? Well, like if there's blood, blood in it, that could be what's going on. Um, but like normal wine doesn't do mm -hmm. that. It's, it's hard to ferment something and make that kind of consistency. But it's not hard if it's not just leaves. <laughs> like if they're also like one of the things that right. happened in the house of the undying is that the undying were going to leech off Danny, but it was also implied they're probably going to kill her. They were like, they're going to feed off her and eventually kill her. Like maybe they get a lot of people to come in the house, of the undying, and they have a lot of bodies laying around and there's a weird fermentation process where it's not just like shady evening tea it's shady evening tea plus like fermented meat or something like that and it's like this weird shake <laughs> i don't even know like something like that because it's right. it's so, super hard to make that right and so now when you're talking about wine and the fermentation process mm -hmm. um so you, what you're you're thinking about them um taking the leaves and making wine like you would make wine yeah. out of like say grapes mm -hmm. for example um is, is kind of what I'm 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 hearing from you now I'm not sure if they actually decided to like ferment it and do all those different processes so um I when I look, think of the uh wine of the warlocks I almost think of it like um you know a name that they gave it uh, just like um you know uh you might have um a glass of wine and you'll call it mommy juice, um, for example, you know, <laughs> like, I, I think that, um, that's just like the nickname. <laughs> I, I think that's just like the, the name that they gave it. I don't necessarily think that the, like they decided to like, um, harvest it and ferment it and do all the same processes that you would do with wine. Um, when I think of that, it, if it is like a thick and oily substance, mm -hmm. I, I think that most of the um, com components and the compounds are still there. They have just um, made it to a drinkable consistency. It's my thoughts on it. Not that drinkable. Apparently everyone hates the stuff. Uh, people in chat are bringing <laughs> up a good point that it, it seems like it's more in common with like syrup. Like if they were taking the sap, and then turning that into something that makes that makes them a bit more right. sense for it. They're going, right. but they specifically say we're using the leaves to make this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's hard to do, especially because leaves don't really have that much juice or anything in it. 
mm-hmm. like the like I was saying, the primary right. way that well, you, and- you make you make a drink from leaves is you make some sort of tea substance or you boil it down and that kind of stuff. Right. And so that that's a really good point because the weirwoods are very sappy. Yeah. So it's possible that maybe they mix the leaves with maybe sap and mm-hmm. a watery substance, for example. Um, that's a really good point that it could be more of a sap. Sap, so that's sap plus cool. bodies, maybe a little bit of Jojen paste going on, especially because if the theory of Jojen paste is right and the because bodies because they yeah because there are no there are no weirwood seeds. Go look through the entire book. There's no mention of these things. <laughs> Um, so no, I'm with you there. I, it's like, I, I think there could be a little bit of Jojen in there and a little bit of, uh, just some people taken from the streets of Karth that get shoved into a barrel with the stuff or something creepy like that. Cause the warlocks are creepy, <laughs> terrible people, but I, I would, that'd be my guess what's actually going on here. But the weirdest thing about them is the hallucinogenics. Um, I got a few quotes here of what happens after you drink this stuff. Obviously the first example we get is Danny when she loses her damn mind. But this is what uh, other people say about it. So this is from one of the warlocks. One flute will serve only to unstop your ears and dissolve the call from off your eyes. So you may hear and see truths that will be laid before you. And then hear from Euron because he's a very dramatic evil guy. I mean to open your eyes. Euron drank deep from his own cup and smiled. Shave the evening, the wine of the warlocks. And then again, this is when this is spoilers for Winds of Winter. Spoilers. If you haven't read it yet. This is from the Aaron Danfair chapter. Uh, he says, that's it, Prince, uh, priest, gulp it down. The wine of the warlock sweeper than sweeter than your seawater. That is a tongue twister, George. It's like you never thought anybody would read that out loud with more truth in it than all the gods of the earth. Interesting, since the gods of the earth are the children and the trees. Um, that is that is something else. So there are there are like kinds of drinks and teas and different substances. I, I listed them later on, but it's. It's strange that drinking this stuff sends you on a giant, just like a giant psychedelic trip. Me and Emmett were talking about it in a previous video about Euron. The fact that his lips are already turning blue is telling you that he's drinking it all the time, which means he is constantly tripping throughout every one of his chapters. He is on cloud nine in every every scene you see him in. Exactly. Um and so uh, I, in my Maze Maker video, I'm not sure if you watched it. Have mm-hmm. you been able to catch it? Yep. Um, I do talk about how um, the uh, the House of the Undying and um, possibly even uh, the mazes in the series, mm-hmm. possibly from the uh, Maze Makers of Lorath, might actually be connected to the old gods in the Children of the Forest. So it's my belief that uh, when you're on one of the main things that he's actually trying to get to is actually that maze at the base of the high tower, mm. which, you know, might be kind of cool because I, I do think that the mazes and I did a whole video on it. It's an hour long video, so um, it's kind of hard to explain, but there are connections um, throughout the series to uh, mazes and um, opening one's third eye and also um, opening one's third eye and the shade of the evening and, and the maze or labyrinth of the house of the undying, etc. Then you go to Lang and you have these people that seem like they have children of the forest blood. And then they have some, um, some underground mazes and all kinds of different things. But anyway, it's my belief that um, Euron is going to run out of this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to run out. He only has a few casts. He's like, I got a few warlocks and a few casts of this stuff, but he's drinking it all the time. He's giving it so, out. Save it, man. 
ration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's it's my belief that he's going to run out eventually. And some people are, are saying he's addicted to it. I don't know if he's addicted or if he just really likes to drink this stuff because he um, is enjoying um, all of this knowledge that he's gaining. But uh, he's going to run out. It's going to be. <laughs> he's a- only got so many casks. The world's going to suck when he stops seeing like the third eye through his third eye and seeing the hidden world. And it goes back to being just like the grim dark of his reality. It's like, Oh, I guess I'm not actually like a mega King with a crown of fire. Who's sailing on an ocean of blood. I'm actually just like this weird guy with an eye patch. Shit. Got to find more yeah. shade of the evening. Got to keep that thing going. Uh, one thing that's definitely a connection with this. Um, have you read any of the thousand world stuff? George's other stories. I read some short stories. So I have um, dream songs and I've read some short stories. I haven't read some of the, the longer. The so you've read, uh, you've read night flyers. I haven't. Uh, I know about night flyers. I, I haven't read it. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, one of the, one of the substances that George introduces in that and is kind of used in other places, just not by the same name. It's a substance called Esperon. The Esper, which usually refers to um, some kind of like soul or uh, psychic kind of thing. What Esperon does in his other stories is essentially you when you take it or it gets injected into you, if it's been purified, it causes whatever latent psychic powers you have to go to 11. It goes off the charts. It greatly um, boosts your your perception. Um, You start being able to read minds. You start being able to see things that aren't there. And it seems very similar to the shade of evening in the sense that when it happens, um, what happens to to Danny and Bran and Aaron is extraordinarily similar. So it seems like George is probably doing the same thing. He really likes the idea that when you're on a drug trip, you're not just seeing like random dreams or neurons firing in your head. He loves the idea that it's a real other world out there, another dimension, another layer of reality you're seeing through. Kind of like when the ego breaks down. Emmett talked about it a lot more than I did. I've never taken those kind of hallucinogens. Before I understand, that's basically what it's like. I'll have to take Emmett's word as well. <laughs> oh, got a uh, super chat here from JT soul. Is it significant that you send a persimmon to the opener of the door to meet the pureborn of Karth and permission and pers- uh, persimmon is in the Ebony family? Actually, yes, I was going to get to this a little bit later, but it's probably a good time now. Uh, one of the things that shade the evening and the, and the trees themselves seem extraordinarily similar to are from Dune, the, um, the spice, uh, Lamange, I think it's called, which is made from the, uh, the sandworms. <clears throat> Unlike George, uh, he has his abusers of this stuff, have their lips turn blue, but in Dune, when you abuse the spice, which has a very similar effect, your eyes turn blue. And then over time, you eventually start turning into like this bizarre, weird creature, uh, that are called the guild navigators, which are kind of like human worm hybrids or something like that. It, it's, it's very strange, but it seems almost nearly identical. And especially when you look at the undying and what happens to you when you abuse shade of the evening and what happens to characters in the Dune universe, when they abuse the spice, it seems to be almost a one-to-one here. Like, I think you can look at Karth and the house, the undying and everything going on there as kind of like uh, George writing a love letter to the Dune series. 
You know, I think you have some great points there. And if you'll notice, a shy, which um, I argue that the oily black stone is related to the shade of the evening tree, is located right there in the Saffron Straits, mm -hmm. which, of course, is a spice. So you get this um, body of water that's actually named after um, a spice. And all those spices are located over there in the mm -hmm. east as well. So um, you get that association as well. Going back to the um, persimmon and the house or the uh, pureborn of the 13 mm -hmm. there's actually um and i'm so glad you you asked this question there is actually a, a different um there's all these steps that you need to perform in order to gain entry and um it it it's actually very reminiscent of um sim the uh, symbology toward um gaining entrance into the audience chamber of the house of the undying mm -hmm. so um so of course, a persimmon is um, associated with ebony, and it's come. It comes from an ebony tree, and the author does often use um, a persimmon as a stand-in for the symbolism of, an, of ebony. So, for example, when um, uh, we know about the the magic of the children of the forest, and there's uh, with the weirwood tree specifically, there's this code word of rustling. Mm -hmm. So uh, when Danny is given a vision of a uh, quaith, now she's using a, a glass candle, but she hears rustling, mm -hmm. and then she sees quaith, and she's beneath a um, persimmon tree. So um, so it's it's possible that with that, the the magic that's powering um that is the same power that is um in a sense uh connected to the the weirwoods or the shade of the evening tree um now all the steps it's very interesting to get into the pureborn you have to make a um sacrifice to the temple of memory and as you'll know the um magic of the children of the forest the weirwoods are almost like a repository of knowledge so in the series bran um describes uh, the knowledge of the old gods as basically um, a, a record of, of everything that has ever happened. And uh, when Maester, um, uh, when Bran is speaking with, uh, I think it was Maester Cresson, he said that uh, the magic of the children of the forest is only a different kind of knowledge. Mm. And um, also when he, uh, when Bran is talking to, I think it was either Leaf or Blood Raven, um, there's this great quote, and let me see if I can get it. <laughs> While you're looking up, uh, people in the chat are, are pointing out that it's not a one-to-one -one for Dune. Yes, very much so. George made his own version of it, but it seems extremely, um, extremely similar in the sense that he draw he drew from it to make his own version. But it's basically just a reference to um, what's going on with the spice and how it affects people, especially the mind-altering part. Like that's that's just seems right on. Obviously, the details are different because he's not lifting it. In other places, he does legitimately copy from other authors. Um, but I don't think in that case, that's what he was doing. No, George does like to give his his twist on things. He, mm -hmm. he likes to uh, show his perspective on, on different things that he or improve um, is it. borrowing from. Exactly. Um, so I have the quote. Okay. <laughs> it's going to be a, a brand three of A Dance with Dragons. And it's not Blood Raven. It's not Leaf that's actually saying this. This is Jojen. Okay. Um, so it says a reader lives a, a thousand lives before he dies, said Jojen. Um, um, says the man who never reads lives only once. 
Uh, the singers of the forest had no books, no ink, no parchment, no written language. Instead, they had the trees and the weirwoods above all. When they died, they went into the wood, into the leaf and limb and root, and the trees remembered. And all their songs and spells, their histories and prayers, everything they knew about this world. Maesters will tell you that the weirwoods are sacred to the old gods. The singers believe they are the old gods. When the singers die, they become part of that godhood. So um, so there's that as well. So um, there's a lot of things that uh, show the weirwoods as being almost parallel in a sense to um, a library, mm. which is really cool. Um, I saw one person making a comment about uh, the trees over there in um, the Summer Islands. And what they do is they do something um, very, very interesting um, with their tall trees and their tall trees, they carve them and they carve them with their histories, hmm. which um, yes. And it's not 100% whether they are uh, the tall trees are the golden heart trees, but they do have an, another very special wood that they make bows out of. Right. Um, that are some of the best bows in the world. Uh, and they're called <gasps> the gold. Puppy. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That's, that's I got Jack, excited to see uh, dogs. Yeah. I, there's Jack and uh, Brizzer. Oh. Um, but I, I left my door open, which <laughs> I probably shouldn't have. Um, but uh, anyway, so there's my dogs. Um, and uh, anyway, so it, it's almost as if those trees might be a memory of um, the magic of the children of the, of the forest as well. So we have um, Maester Cresson saying that the magic of the children is just a different kind of knowledge. Mm -hmm. We have the show saying that the weirwoods is basically um, all of the history and knowledge and, and everything um, combined. And we have that other comment as well. So it's um, pretty thematic. So um, it, it's actually my belief that if um, the two trees have been separated, um, the two trees may have different sets of knowledge. True, and, could be. Um, and so uh, there's a question that you're going to, that somebody had asked earlier, says, what if you drink one and then the other, what's yeah. going to happen? So, Probably the same um, thing. <laughs> it, so uh, anyway, when, when you, you get to that question, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, but. Oh, such good poppers. Yeah. I think I think that's probably true. I think George, he likes having different flavors of the same thing. So golden woods and black woods and weird woods, which are the white woods. <clears throat> He's very into the the colors of the rainbow. You see that with um, even Danny's vision where she sees the. The guys with the flaming swords who look like ancient Valyrians are probably the gemstone emperors. They all have different color eyes. It's probably the same kind of thing, depending on different parts of the world. They're. There are all different colors of these kinds of trees. These are just the ones that survived, although not really survived because shavy evenings are basically dead. Um, they're almost gone at this point. Uh, we got a few super chats. Going to try and get through these. <laughs> got a bunch of them while you're talking. Um, one from Maura Lee. Uh, she sent this over on PayPal. Thank you so much, Maura. Uh, she said, I agree the shavy evening trees are corrupted weirwoods. Drinking the drink made from the leaves helped in Danny's visions at the House of the Undying. Euron is continuing to drink potions made from those leaves as affecting his decisions. Is Euron a corrupted version of Bran that, uh, then who is attuned to the Weirwood network? Well, it would make, that would make Euron more attuned to the Shay the Evening network, which who knows what they want. Like if, if that's a different kind of, 
it's more attuned to the warlocks. It seems like those are like the, the, those trees have been stolen from the children and taken over, which is what's happening to the weirds at some point. Maybe at some point the weird would will change color at some point. But, um, I think that's a good, I think there's a lot of good similarities in looking at how Euron relates to Bran and kind of like a dark version of himself. Some people have called him, perhaps he was a failed pupil, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so um, I do think that um, when Euron makes that statement about dreaming, uh, of dreaming as a boy, that um, that was that was very telling that um, he was visited by something, whether it was Blood Raven, um, possibly because that's the only person we see really, um, you know, visiting young boys in their dreams. Um, uh, I don't like the way it sounds. Know. I know it sounds creepy. It is creepy. Come, Stop doing it. Here, little boy. I'm going to make you fly. No, come no, on, um, come to but, my come to the heart of winter. It'll be fun. Come to my weird, yeah. creepy cave full with other children. Oh, this made me yeah, sad. But, but I do think that the two um, sets of networks are um, are are somehow separated. And um, when Amy Blackfire, um, when I was on her channel and we were discussing the two, um, there is a uh, another fan um, who uh, is on that was on that live stream, and her name is All Hail the Night's Queen. Mm-hmm. And it, her theory suggests that. Um, the, the two trees um, had uh, been disconnected during possibly the hammer of the waters. And I do think that it was probably some sort of cataclysmic event that, that caused this, um, this shift and this change between the two trees. And of course you can see there in a shy, the place is completely blighted. And then you of course have the tale of the bloodstone emperor who um, worshiped a black stone that fell from the sky. And um, you definitely have all that, but uh, the, the two things that really tell us that they're different, in my opinion, are the tasting experiences, because mm-hmm. one is almost like a cold, while one is a fiery. Um, we have Bran over there in the heart of winter, um, while we have um, over in Carth, which is basically like the almost in the lands of almost summer. It's in a, in a very Close, southern yeah. well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, almost like a Southern paradise kind of, um, Mm -hmm. garden of Eden type of environment where everything is, um, lush and beautiful and, you know, everything is, is, is perfect and everybody's polite. And, you know, even the, the assassins say, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about this. uh, Stab, 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 stab. I'm so sorry about this, but but, uh, anyway, but, uh, anyway, um, but it's that that fiery substance is over there all the way on the other side of the continent where it's it's actually super hot. Um, and so it is my belief that the two are separated. So they are, you know, um, they, they probably don't have um, the same kind of access to the same kind of knowledge if that magic is um, per se knowledge. And so it's my belief that Euron is attempting to gain access to that knowledge on the Westerosi side so that he will have access to both. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are pointing out in the chat that we're only eight likes away from me putting on a silly hat. So, you know, slam that like button, got 205 people watching today, uh, nice. enjoying talking about weird, spooky trees that are mentioned in one page only. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> God help us. We're taking so much out of so little, but Hey, that's the song of ice and fire fandom. Uh, yeah. Slam that like button. If you could, um, a super chat from purple Lord Leo Anasazi. 
uh, Anansi, Anansi, I think that's how you pronounce it. Oh, that's from, um, that's from American Gods. I always had trouble pronouncing that as the, as a spider too. Oh, I'm an idiot. Um, so it says shady evening trees are weird stranded by the children breaking the arm. Yeah, we were just talking about that. I think that's probably true. I tend to think it was an earthquake since they're the singers of the earth. And we know that the, the one kind of magic that actually works in this world is uh, controlling the earth. Like the Valyrians were holding back volcanoes. They could apparently shape rock like it was putty. Um, that sounds like lithomancy or geomancy or something like that. So if they're the singers of the earth and you have a landmass breaking, I would guess that they have some method of getting rocks to move like the Valyrians did. Or the, the super tinfoil one. I think we've talked about this. You talked about the giant roots underground. Maybe they got the giant roots to all move at once. And they like snapped it. They broke all the rocks or something like that. Because we know they can move. The Black Gate is proof of concept. Weirwoods can move. They just don't for some reason. So maybe if you powered them all up with tons of blood, like they said, that the sacrifice, you could get them to slam their their uh, roots against some rocks real fast or something like that and break the arm of Dorne, basically. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. And um, I've got a couple thoughts on that. Um, my first thought is that um, and I've actually discussed this in my video. Um, if the two trees are connected, it's possible. It's quite possible that um, we have an expansive root system that went from Esos all the way over to Westeros and possibly, you know, all over the world because we have that um, really creepy um, purple black forest right next to a shy, for example. Um, we have instances of, of um, oily blacks, oily black stone over there in uh, Sothorios. It's potential that um, this, this uh, weirwood net it actually encompasses all of Planetos. And um, and it's possible that these roots can even be found in places like underneath the sea, yeah. um, which could be why um, there is a green sea, green sea pun that mm -hmm. um, Ravenous Reader on Twitter had identified because every time that people are talking about the sea, um, there there is some weirwood uh, symbolism as well. And um, I talk about in my video that... Um, all of these uh, sightings of krakens may not actually be krakens, yeah, but they may roots. actually be, they could be roots, um, for example. So we have like when Dunk drowns, he sees something um, long and white and slithering as he's drowning and he makes a really big deal out of it. He's like, what was that? What was that? What, what is it? You know, and it, it's just something long and snaking. So that yeah. happens when Dunk drowns and, um, then when Davos drowns and for all intents and purposes, he did drown. Like people don't really don't know how, how he survived, but he mentions um, feeling something um, mysterious touching his leg before he, <sighs> you know, drowns. Yeah. And then he washes up on the spears of the Merlin King. Then when you take a look at the um, drowned God, uh, for example, uh, their most holy place uh, is actually probably Weirwood. So that's telling you maybe a little bit about the drowned god itself. Um, and also uh, one of their um, priests used to um, walk around with a, a stick of Weirwood to smite mm -hmm. the unmighty. It was either Weirwood or Nagas White Bones. Staff, right? Probably, yep, yep. Galon Whitestaff. Mm -hmm. And um, also, uh, for example, Patchface. Uh, now we know that he drowned and we don't know how he survived, um, but we do know that he came back prophetic and there's not a lot of magics around that can do that. Yeah. Um, 
So it's possible that um, the mystery behind the drowned God is actually um, the same thing that we know as the old gods. It's just um, there's the ironborn don't mm-hmm. understand it like that. Uh, and when you take a look, I, I could keep going. But yeah. <laughs> um, any, anyway, um, when you take a look at um, uh, when Melisandra sees, uh, when she asks for a glimpse of the great other, she sees a um, blood raven in Bran, which um, yeah. can tell you a little bit about that um, icy um, side of the werewolf net that mm-hmm. we just discussed. So that's the great other. Um, then when she asks for a vision of um, Rolor's instrument and Rolor's Shows king, him only snow. No. Oh, wait. No, that's when she asks for a vision of Azora High. Oh, that's when right. When she that's asks right. Rolor for a vision of her instrument, when she asks Rolor for a vision of her king, she is given um, a vision of a dark tide um, uh, rising from the depths. Oops, there's... She's given a vision of a dark tide rising from the depths to mm-hmm. um, overpower towers by the sea. Oh. And um, anyway... If you take a look at Bran's vision of um, the tide coming to drown Winterfell, what she's probably being given is a, a vision of the Ironborn, mm. of Euron. Okay. So when she asks for a vision of her instrument and of her king, of Rolores king, uh, she's given uh, that. So that, and of course, his side of the werewolf net is fiery. Um, so there's, it's kind of interesting. Take a look at it. Um, but anyway, uh, and then we hear Makoro say that the drowned God is nothing but a thrall of the great other. Yeah. And then when you take a look at Euron telling, or no, Uri telling Aaron what the drowned good, what's down there, he says it's only worms. Of course, we know that uh, werewood roots are described as long and snaking and mm-hmm. worm-like. And so, um, yeah, there's there's some hints that there's something down there, but it's probably not Krakens. <laughs> no, probably not Krakens. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, so when you go to the, the breaking of the Arm of Dorne, uh, there was a, a really interesting thing in Arianne Winds of Winter sample chapter. So spoil, spoilers, but it says that there's been Krakens sighting, sighted off the coast of the Arm of Dorne. Yes, that's right. So, um, and being drawn to blood, of course, where, where it's also kind of like blood too. Um, so, if there's a bunch of werewood roots over there, it's possible your theory is correct. It'd be nice. Yes. It's very tinfoily, but there is some ideas behind it. You know, I lo- <laughs> there's there's a there's a lot of things that that could connect them. That could happen. Who knows if they did? That's one of those germ things. He loves leaving hints for everything that he never intends to do anything with. Because why, why would they all connect? Why do they all make sense? Well, sometimes he's just writing things that amuse him. That's kind of how it goes. Uh, $5 from Whitney Davis. Is that why Bran had to have the weirwood pace? He doesn't look anything like what they usually describe as a weir- as a green seer. So this is talking about, I think when I was talking about Esperon and how, how it was used in George's other works, essentially to open people's minds. It's probably true. I imagine that in George's mind that probably almost everyone that has a skin changer background has latent psychic ability because that's what skin changing is. It's a psychic, it's a psychic like um, astral projection kind of thing. Actually, it's a thing from X-Men. It's basically Professor X. So um, I'm guessing that if any of the house Stark or anyone that has like a lingering 
gene of skin changing somewhere in them. If they took weird pace, it would probably be the same thing that happens to them that happens to Bran. I mean, Danny takes it and there's no real history of the, of the Targaryens being skin changers, although she is part Blackwood. So perhaps, but I, I think it would work with anybody. That's sort of the thing uh, he, in his mind as a baseline. He, he generally thinks that everyone has a little bit. A little bit of ESP in their brain. Yeah, I think that those are are some good um, comments, and it's it's something that I've thought about in the past because Bran is probably um, one of the most um, powerful skin changers that have been around for a while, mm-hmm. and um, because uh, he's he's actually ta- trying to speak to his father, and he's trying to speak through people through uh, the trees. And Blood Raven's like, no, they can't hear you and stuff like that. But, uh, but they can. Um, but they can. So he's got he's got to have some magic juice in those veins. I'm yeah. telling you, he's, he's a strong, very strong um, uh, green seer. So it, it really is interesting why he doesn't have the red or green eyes that um, are associated with green seers. It could just be that that's just a story and it's not actually true. Like that kind of thing happens all the time. Like it's said that um, this is the same problem that uh, comes across with nettles. Where it's like, is she a dragon rider because she's secretly a Targaryen bastard? Or is she a dragon rider because she used a well-known tactic of getting animals to like you, which is giving them food? It, it goes either way. I mean, just because he doesn't have the right eyes doesn't mean that you only can have those color eyes and coloring of your skin to be a skin changer. Maybe those are just the ones that are obvious. You know, that could very much be the case. Um, we got a, another super chat from Mallory. Uh, she said... Oh, save this one to the end. No, we're, we're going to do this one now. Um, how would you make a shave the evening drink? Would it invo- involve um, blue curacao? I think that's how you pronounce that. So how I think, was this at one of the conventions they actually did serve a shave the evening or something like that? Oh, um, I know at Dallas they um, served several different things. And I one of them might have been blue, but they didn't call it shade of the evening. Um, there is actually a um, tutorial on how to make shade of the <sighs> evening, uh, like a drink, but it's not drinkable because they use like black eye or uh, oh. frozen or dry ice or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting and they use, do use blue curacao. So... <laughs> So if you want to check that out, you can. And it's like all smoking and mm-hmm. like creepy and and there's dry ice used. You have to thicken it quite a lot to get like the consistency of honey. I mean, you probably wouldn't go that far. Um, the taste is so gross. I mean, I think it. I think if we're going to be true to what's described by Danny drinking it, um, you should just make it really strong and then just add a bunch of flavoring and blue um and a uh, blue dye into it. And there you go. Shade the evening. So like for me, it'd be making like an Irish mule and then dying it blue <laughs> shade. The evening. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very personal. What it tastes like is, um, is up to you. It just has to be strong. Yeah. Well, if it, if it was personal for me, it would probably taste like mayonnaise. Cause I hate mayonnaise and I think it tastes <laughs> disgusting. Oh my God. A mayonnaise so. <laughs> drink. Oh God. <laughs> so, Curse out. I'm sorry. I pronounced it wrong. I pronounce everything wrong. Okay. Um, so where were we before we got sidetracked by all of this? Uh, we were talking about, oh, uh, the warlocks. So we were talking about the spice and how it kind of turns them blue. But one of the things I find super interesting about the shade, the evening wine and the trees themselves is what it does to you when you drink too much of it. And it's the idea that it essentially turns the undying into like blue stained mummies. 
which is a bizarre thing to happen. And it kind of raises the question that like, maybe that's the reason we, uh, green seers are called, like are said to be albino. Maybe over time, if you like drink enough weirwood paste, it turns you that color too. But it's, it's such a bizarre practice, although it is a real thing. Um, I looked this up and there are Buddhist monks in China and in Japan, uh, I don't think the one, maybe the ones in Japan are Buddhist. I'm not really sure where essentially they starve themselves to death and then they eat certain things before they die in order to mummify themselves. And that seems very similar of what's going on here. It's supposed to be a spiritual thing that it's like, um, they, they say certain prayers right up until they die and they're considered in their culture as uh, very holy and spiritual. And that kind of seems like an echo of what's going on with the undying where apparently they drank so much shade of the evening it literally mummified them and turned them blue kind of a strange yes. thing yeah and so and there's other things um if you like eat too much uh too many like carrots in your diet it can actually turn the like whites of your eyes um kind of a um orange color it can even turn your skin um a little bit of an mm. orange color um there's there's different um diseases that can turn your um skin uh yellow yeah. um that are caused by jaundice mm-hmm. um and occasionally that jaundice is due to the things that you might have ingested that were um liver toxic for example or hepatotoxic um but the thing that really interests me and and you just kind of spoke on it a little bit is um the uh the blue men. And when I, when I, when I think about the house at the end, I think of that song, you know, like I have a blue house with a blue window. <laughs> you know? That's true. Hang on. I gotta go find my other hat. Keep blue going. The color. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's, it's um, all those blue people uh, because in, we, we have these tales of these ancient people that were green and um, it, it's very mysterious as to why uh, we would have green people within the storyline, especially, you know, so many years ago, it said that Garth Greenhand um, what, had uh, green skin and green hair and green beard and green eyes and was had green skin overall. It said that um, the green men of the God's eye uh, were also similar, similarly depicted. Um, and it said that uh, all of them had antlers on their heads. And it's it's pretty wild to think about green people with antlers on their heads running around <laughs> during the Dawn Age. It really, really is. Um, but we actually have blue people running around in our present timeline. Well, not running. Running well, strong. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> they're, um, just, they're just sitting there waiting to apparently suck on eyeballs like a bunch of weirdos. Right. But but the thing with the with the green men of the God's eye and Garth Greenhand is that the green men of the God's eye are associated with weirwoods like they guard weirwoods. Um, they are heavily associated with the God's eye, weirwoods, um, the chill of the forest and the magic of the old gods. And so was Garth Greenhand, who was said to have like um, uh, planted the intertwining weirwoods uh, over in High Garden. His mm-hmm. descendants sat on a living tree throne. He was very much associated with nature and the planting of trees. Um, and so you you have some very, very heavy connotations with werewolves and the old gods with these green people. Um, then you, when you have these blue people, they're heavily associated with the magic of the undying and those creepy blue trees. And the blue so heart. If, uh, oh, mm-hmm. What the hell's going on with that? Nobody knows. 
I'll tell you in a second. Um, <laughs> We're going to find out. So We're going to know. You're about to find out. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so if those trees are able to turn those people blue, it, why it's, it's possible that the green men were green for the same reason that the blue people are blue. It's because they ingested too much of um, a substance. So it's possible that the werewoods weren't always um, bone white with red bloody hands mm -hmm. and creepy sappy faces uh, carved into them. They may have been um, green and something happened uh, a long, long time ago. Boy, this sounds like a theory so, coming. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and the cool thing is, is that the uh, red hands and, um, the werewoods are always described as red bloody hands, but if um, they were at one point green, they would be a green hands. So Garth green hands. Boom. Nailed Boom. it. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I wrote a video about it and um, there's a lot of different hints to that as well. Mm -hmm. So, um, so be looking out for that eventually. I did a Twitter thread. So if you want to get a head start, there's a Twitter thread about it too. There's always a Twitter thread. Always a Twitter thread. Always a good Twitter thread. Um, let's see here. What were we talking about? Um, I, I did list some some different like wines or liquors that people make that are very similar in effect to the shade of the evening. Uh, one of them is absinthe, although that's large. Uh, that's made from the wormwood herb and it supposedly gets you stoned while getting you drunk. But uh, people have looked at like how much is actually in there. And it seems to be just that it's like a 90 proof alcohol. That's what makes people act funny, not exactly the wormwood itself. I mean, that happens all the time. People add weird stuff. There's also, um, I don't know how to pronounce this one. I'm going to give it a running shot and I'm going to miss, but God help me. It's from South America. It's called um, Aya Huasca. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's from uh, made from vines. It apparently tastes awful, but when you take it, uh, it has to be prepared in a very weird way and ends up being kind of thick when it's done. And when you take it, you essentially go on these like bizarre six hour drug trips. There's all sorts of people that have documented themselves doing it. I think it contains DMT or something like that. I, I forget what exactly it is, but considering George does seem to have done a lot of hallucinogens in his life, maybe that was his idea for like what it was supposed to be other than just like the spice and, um, and that kind of thing. It, it's a bizarre thing. And then there was one that was really, really funny. And <laughs> when I was looking through it, it's called, um, it's basically no longer allowed to be made. It's called uh, laudanum or something like that. You ever heard of this? Because um, it used to be a medical I practice. I, well, tell me about it. Maybe I have, but I, I don't I don't remember. It's a reddish brown liquid. It's very bitter and it's bitter and it's reddish brown because it's basically just full of opium, morphine and codeine. Just as like one big potion. So you drink it and you're basically just drinking all the opiates. Oh my God. That's like a bell obstruction waiting to happen. <laughs> it, the people took it for pain. Apparently okay. it's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> you take those things. Uh, you're not going to feel a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Not a good thing. I was just looking for like what George could be trying from just no. all the opi opiates in all one drink. Opiates. It's like when people used to uh, prescribe like cocaine for stuff like that. It's like, Oh, just take some cocaine. It's fine. Like it's not fine. Don't do that. Um, so we, we talked for a little bit about, um, about the, the corrupted weirwoods and you, uh, you were talking in your video 
from a while back about how the oily blackstone may be made from uh, the shade of the evening, that it's like a petrified version of it. Do you want to just like uh, give a too long didn't read version of that? Yeah. So um, you, you basically got the uh, gist of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're told by Titus Blackwood. So we're told by a guy named Blackwood <gasps> that um, one piece of like Westerosi horticulture um, that uh by itself doesn't have a lot of payoff unless, um, you know, it, it's some information that might be useful to us. Um, but anyway, um, this piece of West Rossi horticulture, West Titus Blackwood tells us that werewoods never rot. Mm-hmm. They simply, um, if you leave them alone, they will live forever. Um, you know, but when they do die, they, they, you know, they don't rot. They just turn to stone. So um, with the, And so um, you can imagine what a werewood would look like, um, petrified. And if you take a look at Naga's Bones on the Iron Islands, that's probably a good good example of that. Uh, However, uh, if the two trees are related, if the two trees were at one time um, the same tree and had veered off in their, their evolution, whether it be through the hammer of the waters, natural occurrences, but if they were one tree, if the white stuff petrifies, then the the black stuff does too, right? Sure. Yeah, I mean, makes sense. That's, that makes, that's pretty good sense. Mm-hmm. And um, and if you think about it that way, that actually uh, makes a lot of sense because the house of the undying, where all of those um, shade of the evening trees are, uh, where you get this comment about how see how it drinks the light. Then in the world book, we're told all about Ashai and it's full of this black stone where he said that it, it seems to drink the light. Um, so you get that connection. Uh, there's a lot of connections, like I said, with like the poisoning that the, the GRM has talked about mm-hmm. in the past. Um, you know, when we talk about um, um, I, I, I ended up if you watch the video, I make connections to like yin mm-hmm. and positive. Lang and all of these places around here. Um, but the theories that the other theories around the fandom, they, they aren't able to make sense of the amount of stone used because Ashaya said to be as large as Karth, King's Landing, and Old Town combined. And it's humongous and it's made entirely of the stone. So um, people have put forth, it was made from the, the black meteor that fell from the sky. Um, One that meteor could not make a city. <laughs> it, it can't, it, you can't, um, no, it, a, a meteor that size would probably destroy the entire, you know, earth. Uh, but anyway, um, and you would probably have some uh, evidence of that uh, besides the point. But if it was quarried, you would have evidence of that because sure. if you quarry something the size of an entire city that large, like the city of, um, I don't know how big Ashai really is, but it's huge and it's the biggest city on on that on that planet. So um, it just doesn't make sense. But if they used a renewable resource, well, then maybe renewable. If a forest, I mean, it does kind of make sense. It does seem there'd be a lot of evidence throughout Essos of mass deforestation, especially in the Dothraki Sea, uh, the deserts that are around Karth. I mean, one of the things that definitely does happen in real life is if you cut down all the trees in an area, it will probably turn to a desert pretty fast. Um, 
or it will turn to grasslands or turn to something like the Dothraki Sea and they talk about the ghost grass that's coming in out of Shai. Yeah, if they cut down all the trees across a continent to make a giant city out of this one particular substance, that would make, yeah, that, this is the ecological effect that would happen. Right. And, um, and you do make some good points. I, I do believe that the, um, the seas like the Dothraki Sea and also, um, the, uh, the shrinking sea that is in the middle of the plains of the Jogosnai are mm-hmm. indicative that, um, oh, yeah, it, the lakes. it was probably a, a large body of water there at one time. Mm-hmm. And that's how plains regions are usually, um, created is actually, um, at the, at one time there were usually, um, a, a place where a large body of water was that it, would it, uh, eventually dry out. That's um, I'm from the Plains region. So I, <laughs> they made me learn that in fifth grade. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, both, um, both are true. You cut down all the trees and a lake dries up and you get a massive grassland and desert where there used to be a giant forest and an inland sea happens all the time. I mean, there was a time I was watching a video recently. They were talking about how not that long ago, the Sahara desert was a, uh, like the Serengeti, it was a giant grassland. And then over time, desertification happened. And now it's a big, but it's, it happens over and over and over again in a cycle. Mm-hmm. They've gone down and they've been able to find it's like, well, for like 10,000 years, it was a desert. Then 10,000 years, it was a grassland again. Then it was a forest and it just kind of goes back and forth. So the idea that, yeah. but humans do that kind of shit too. Like <laughs> there's a famous story of, um, what is it? It's out of New Jersey when that, that giant hurricane hit it. The reason it was so bad is because the people that lived on the coast there destroyed the sand dunes. And because of that, the floodwaters were able to go in and destroy just so much of the New Jersey coast. It's one of those things where nature has a funny way of punishing people for doing things they think are innocuous, but turns out not. You cut down an entire forest of shady evening trees or whatever they used to be. Yeah, you'll probably destroy the ecology. Nice. Nice. And I, that's really cool. I, I really want to read about that because, um, that that sounds like something I'd be into. Um, that's really cool. You just know everything, don't you, Matt? <laughs> I just have lots of facts. I just all floating you around do. in my head. I watch mostly like educational videos and read about stuff like that. So it's just, it's just kind of all sitting there in the back of my head. Um, I know. Although the, you did make the point that Althos apparently still has its jungles. Um, yes, but. Yeah. It would it would make a lot of sense if they essentially if they just clear cut the everything around a shy to make that place. Um, right. And, and why well, there's so few you, left. Well, it, you know, you have to think about it. And it's possible that these places were uh, large areas were deforested because how old are um, how old is a shy? It's older than time. Right. Like um, mm-hmm. it's it's got to be at least as old as the long night, which is um, several thousand years old. So, um, like it said that the Valerian Empire uh, began to rise after the fall of the Long Night, and that was 5,000 years ago. So, when you think about 5,000 years in our own world, um, that is older than the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is like the oldest written story, like the oldest written, um, uh, you know, the pyramid texts are a little bit older, uh, but it's still like a a few thousand years older than the pyramid texts themselves. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it said that, uh, you know, we're looking at like 3000 years before the birth of Christ, for example, it's incredibly ancient. So there could have been massive deforestation, um, 
all over around um, Ashai five thousand years ago, and Karth, and um, oh yeah, and well, and we're told that uh, the area around um, where the Koth be, mm-hmm. they're the Kothi, um was much more fertile, much much more fertile, and that it began to dry. Yep. Um, but um, but yeah, so it it could have been heavily de- deforested at that time. You're absolutely right. It would make a lot of sense, especially because like when you cut down all the trees, you cut, you stop the soil from being able to blown away. So essentially you remove the topsoil, which means nothing else can grow because it blows away in the wind. Somebody from the Great Plains would know that. That's essentially yeah, that's know, what caused the Dust Bowl. We know a lot about erosion. Yeah. Or that was part of the reason for Dust Bowl. People were cutting yeah, down trees for farms. There's a lot of... Um, uh, there was a lot of drought around the time of the Dust Bowl as well. Um, and then farmers didn't know as much about um, yeah. which uh, plants would cause erosion of those mm-hmm. areas. And they also didn't know a lot about making tree breaks. Yep. And so uh, a lot of the trees in, in the Great Plains region, if they're around um, agricultural areas, they're actually tree breaks. So it'll be just one huge line of trees yeah. and then you'll get a field and then another huge line of trees and then another field. And uh, they're, they're actually used in it to kind of combat the wind. So, Which they had to do because when the settlers went out there, they clear cut everything to build houses and to make big farms. So that was kind of like a human ecological disaster that eventually they're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that, should we? <laughs> we kind of fucked ourselves. Make, make a lot of sense if that's what happened to Karth in the long, long past. Um, so let's see. I already covered this part of stuff. We talked about the... Um, oh, this is also another connection to Dune. Um, the planet Arrakis, where most of the plot of Dune happens, used to be a lush, de- a, a lush, lush plant with tons of water. But the sandworms apparently showed up and the, the sand trout or whatever they're called. And they essentially turned the planet into a desert. And the people let it essentially took advantage of that afterwards to make the spice, which comes from the sandworms. So it's kind of like it'd be interesting if George was playing with that idea that the area around Karth was destroyed in the same way in order to get the shaded evening and the, um, the shaded evening trees. And it was just like commerce essentially destroying this entire area. Basically the same thing. Another doom connection for you guys. Um, uh, one thing I wanted to get to is that a lot of the stuff we're talking about is this kind of like extreme nerdery of details and like trying to link stuff in the past. And it's, it's not really, it's, it's not really going anywhere. Like if the arm of Dorm was destroyed by Weirwood's breaking rocks. Okay, cool. I guess I was right. It's not, that's not happening again. <laughs> like that's just a far past thing. But I want to talk about what the shade in the evening and the trees and the warlocks, what are they going to do forwards in the story? Now, the main person that has to do with this is obviously Euron Greyjoy. We were talking about how he has some, some casks. He also has obviously a few warlocks, just captured warlocks, including Pyatt Pre. He actually has Pirate Pre. Um, so obviously the house of the undying is, has been destroyed. That's probably the end of the shade of the evenings. Uh, w- what do you think this kind of stuff is going to do in winds of winter forwards other than Yaron forcing Aaron to drink it? Like, do you think the warlocks are going to have more of a play in it? Is Yaron going to like, what, wh- what's going on with this stuff? Because it's something he's clearly still pushing on us to pay attention to. It's not just a background thing that the warlocks in the shade of the evening are a part of the story. If they were, we would have heard about in the Clash of Kings and that would be it. 
Okay, so um, we're not really sure how many warlocks are left. Um, it's assumed that uh, there are more warlocks in uh, Essos. Mm -hmm. It's said that there are uh, there's a warlock way, and that warlocks were maybe sending some messages now via um, phantom tortoises, which is kind of cool. Phantom um, tortoises. <laughs> You didn't read about the phantom tortoises? I've never heard about phantom tortoises. Oh, you and, okay, that and the 30-foot shadow baby. Like, <laughs> you need to pay attention. <laughs> but, uh, uh, um, so yeah, there's like phantom tortoises and warlocks. Wait, and now I want to tell you, I'm going to read the passage. Uh, phantom, if I can find tortoises. it for you. I've never heard of this. Oh my God. And, okay, so... Uh, phantom fingers, all kinds of phantom fingers and phantom hands. Okay, so here it goes. Uh, Zaro looked, this is Daenerys uh, five of A Clash of Kings. Okay. Zaro looked troubled. And so it was, but then, but now I am less certain. It is said that the glass candles are burning in the house of Urathon Nightwalker that have not burned in a hundred years. Ghost grass grows in the garden of Gahane. Now say that five times fast. Nope, Go not trying. Ghost grass grows I in the garden of Gahane. It says phantom tortoises have been seen carrying messages between the windowless houses on Warlock's Way, and that rats in the city are chewing off their tails. The wife of Mathos Malarwan, Mathos Malarwan, um, who once mocked a warlock's drab moth-eaten robe, has now gone mad and will wear no clothes at all. Even fresh washed silks make her feel as though a thousand insects were crawling on her skin. And blind Seb uh, Sebastian of the Eater of Eyes can see again, or so his slaves do swear. So um, anyway, there are phantom tor tortoises on Warlock's Way. Okay, phantom okay. tortoises. I know the yes. tortoises are usually a reference to the Roinar because they like um, they used mm -hmm. to use them as shields. And there's the old man of the river. Does that mean the Roinar mm -hmm. are showing up in Karth? No, no, but um, it, it's interesting. It said that they're phantom tortoises. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe the spirits of the long dead uh, um, Roinar gods. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it's 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 interesting. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's a warlock's way where a bunch of warlocks live and um, it can be assumed that there's warlocks over in Ashai. I think it actually mentions that warlocks are in Ashai. Mm -hmm. And there's probably warlocks in other places other than Karth or Ashai throughout Essos. Um, but we do know that Euron does have a couple. Said that he took four warlocks. Um, one died and he fed that uh, warlock to the other three. Yeah, that was gross. Um, yeah, and uh, he's currently sacrificing two. One is pirate pre pi, pirate uh, pirate, pirate oh interesting pirate pre pirate pre mm. one is a pirate pi, pre and uh, and the other one is unnamed but we don't know what's going on with the other one <laughs> mm. um, and uh, that's that's kind of mysterious and some some fans have have been asking about it what where is the other warlock and and. Um, it's it's said that uh, Euron has made sacrifices mm -hmm. um, in order to gain fa favorable winds, so maybe that was the sacrifice. It's also said that um, these uh, that the warlocks may have been helping him um, gain um, you know access to to dark magics in sure. order to um, 
mess with the wind too. So maybe he just sacrificed one of the warlocks in a similar way that Melisandre had made a sacrifice in order for Rolor to um, gain them good, uh, good weather as mm. well. So that could be something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, morally, I, I saw the PayPal donation you gave earlier. If there's a second one, it hasn't showed up yet. So sorry, maybe there's something wrong with the servers. The website's not really working. Uh, hopefully it shows up by the end. Uh, one thing I wanted, I thought was interesting with it going forward is that there is another character that has had Shay the evening and seems to be on a crash course with Euron, and that's Daenerys. And we know that the Shay the evening, when she took it the first time, this is something they like totally left out of the show. But those visions and what the Undying told her and everything she saw in that whole experience has been profoundly um, impacting her psyche and the way she even perceives the world since it happened. And it just so happens that Euron's trying to find his way to her and she has and he has more shade the evening. I was wondering if perhaps if they ever get to meet, will he offer her another cup and will she take it? Um, so Euron wants everybody to drink it. You know, he he's given <laughs> it to Victoria and he's given it to Aaron. Um, and so would he give it to Daenerys if he has some? I think so. Um, I'm but I am speculative as as to, you know. By the time that he and Danny do meet up, if he's going to have any left, because he's only got so many casts, he's <laughs> drinking it like, you know, like it's water. So, um, so there's that. But I, I do think that he is trying to gain access to um, the magic of the old gods over there in Westeros. Mm-hmm. So um, he may be, he, he maybe he'll offer her some weirwood paste. And it said, um, the Undying, do tell her to drink from the cup of ice and Ooh. drink from the cup of fire. And um, and I've already talked about how the shade of the evening may be a little bit more of the fiery side with the fingers of fire coiling through her heart and molten gold. And it's all the way in hot car. And then we have beyond the wall, um, the stuff that tastes like new fallen snow and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, all those associations. So uh, when the undying tell her to drink from the cup of ice and drink from the cup of fire, um, I potentially think that they may be telling her to consume both substances. One of the things that's funny about them is they made all these prophecies and then instantly got roasted by Drogon. So <laughs> I, I do wonder how many of them were right. But the thing that for Danny is that she does think they're right. She thinks they're true and she keeps acting. And actually, it's one of those funny things where she brings it up in conversation and people go like, what the hell are you talking about? She's like, oh, Never mind. I'm just going to keep that one to myself. Don't worry about it. I just said some weird thing. It wasn't anything. I'm definitely not listening to a bunch of blue zombies that told me weird things while I was tripping balls. Um, but it is one of those things where as Targaryens seem to get older and as they kind of grow in power kind of their ambition and the way they see themselves, especially since she's now been told or um, the Benero and the um, and the priests of Atlantis think that she's Azora High. If if she already thinks that and she's already getting weird visions from like um, from Quaith, like if she takes this, the shade evening now when she's not like an innocent girl who doesn't know what she's getting into, like what would exactly would that do to her head? Because we know for Euron, it apparently has pushed him to the point to like where he thinks he's on like another plane of existence. It's um in, in terms of how Danny gets to like a different point of her of her personality and whatever happens in the end game and what she ends up deciding she have to do. It would be, it would be kind of funny if part of it came about because of another interaction with the shade of the evening, especially because the warlocks really want to make it to her. 
Like the reason they got caught by Euron is because they were trying to essentially go find her and get revenge and kill her. Could be like you know, the, that's, the revenge of the undying. That could be something. You know, that's true. And um, one of the things that I have noticed in the past is um, if you are the undying and you have access to um, knowledge of the future, um, what is the potential that the undying saw their fate? Um, that'd, be, that'd be shitty for them. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's possible, especially with the three treasons, um, that, you know, the, you know, uh, cause she's, she, those are seeds of suspicion that she, um, it is very mindful of throughout the series after mm-hmm. her interaction with the undying. And so, um, it's possible when they actually tried to consume her and, uh, and some of the things they might have told her, were um, almost like an, a, a preventative. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to change their own fate. Oh, interesting. And also um, mm-hmm. possibly to plant seeds of revenge in, in, in that sense. So like Melisandre, um, that's one of the first things she, she sees is threats to herself. So um, did the, if the undying ones are all-knowing and all-powerful and have all this access to um, knowledge of the future, did they see... Did they see what was coming? Probably. Uh, <laughs> if they know, did, they suck at uh, at <laughs> going through that. Yeah. Although so. that is that is a, a constant um, plot point again in Dune, um, since a lot of these characters are very much seem to be from Dune itself, is that there are characters that essentially can shield themselves from future sight, where essentially there's like shadows around their future. And uh, those that do have those abilities that essentially see them as like blanks. They don't see anything about them. So it could be something like that. Like maybe that's one of the reasons they're so interested in Danny. When they look at her, they see nothing. And they're like, this seems important. Let's maybe we should do something about this. But um, I don't know. It's I do find it interesting. You, you talked about one thing where it's like Dan, they betrayed Danny and then she still listens to them. That's one of those things that always gets me. She still thinks their prophecies were true, even though they were obviously trying to hurt her. And they were trying to like steal her or feed off of her or something like that. And it was just like. Right. And and they may actually be giving her um, correct information. Um, one of the things uh, that is said of the Fae and you got to think that like um, the children of the forest are kind of based on like fairy folk um, mythology mm-hmm. and uh, mythology of the she and all that other stuff. Um, one of the things is that uh, fairies, uh, they can't lie, but they're very manipulative. Oh. And, uh, you know, so they'll, they'll just give you, uh, if you ask uh, information, they may give you the correct information, but, the, um, they, but they may present it in a way that uh, will not help you at all. Or they may present it in a way that um, may actually hurt you in a sense. Uh, so, um so uh, it's it's possible they gave her good information, but it, they presented it to to in, her w- in a way that was not helpful at all, or could it even be detrimental? That's so. true. There's also that idea out there in the fandom that like Ver- I think somebody's gone through in various. I don't think he's ever lied in the books, but he's definitely withheld things, mm-hmm. something like that. Um. So before we just have a bunch of uh, questions here to get to at the end here. Um from patrons and uh and the slack and a couple from twitter some of them we went over some of them we didn't um so the first one here it turns out i was i was saying um eric's name wrong it's apparently not for it's eric uh he said pronounce it like ferg or ferg 
though. Eric Ferg, mm. he says it's German and there's an umlaut that wasn't showing up on Patreon. I also butcher names. Sorry about that, Eric. Uh, he asked, does Euron have any magical powers outside of ingesting Shade Evening to the Warlocks? Um, does Danny get prophetic dreams when not drinking Shade? Um, I don't. I am still not convinced Euron has any powers. Uh, like a lot of me and Emmett were talking about this during that uh, live stream back in the day, or not back in the day, it was like a year ago at this point. But so much of it seems to be him correctly understanding marketing and how to present himself and using the appearance of power to give himself power. Like he hasn't demonstrated anything magical other than essentially drinking a hallucinogenic drug. Other than that, like a lot of it can just be explained by pretty uh, minor th- or pretty normal things that he's essentially dr- making dramatic for effect. But if he actually is like Blood Raven's pupil and or like a failed pupil of the Children of Force or something like that, that maybe he actually does have like maybe some skin changing abilities. Maybe he does have some ability to see into the future. Maybe he does get weird visions. What do you think? So I got a question. What do you think about uh, the, the theory that Euron is spying on Victorian through the Dusky Woman? Oh, my God. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. <laughs> so Euron's letting himself about it. Euron's letting himself get railed by his brother to <laughs> to spy on him. <laughs> I mean, that that seems a little far for Euron, but I don't know. It's one of those things where he seems like a kind of character that would do that stuff. So people kind of fill in the <laughs> blanks. But he hasn't really done much in the story that suggests he has anything like those powers. It's basically just people reading what he's saying while he's high on hallucinogens and saying maybe this is true. Mm-hmm. Well, and if the theory and people theorize that Euron has a glass candle, so you would think that he went need the candle, yeah. woman if he has a glass candle as well. Um, and so I, I tend to think that he it's it's probably one or the other because um, you you're not going to send your your brother who hates you, by the way, um, with one of the most valuable th- and, and Euron doesn't find a lot of things valuable. Um, cause he gives away like Valyrian steel and gems and silver and gold and all kinds of stuff. But, um, there are some certain things that he, he does value and it's those magical objects, like for instance, his Valyrian steel armor. Um, and also that dragon binder horn, mm-hmm. which he's, Supposedly got from Valeria, but he actually got from the Curse of Warlock, according to the app. Yeah. Um, but uh, love the app. yeah, I love the app. Um, so if you if you're on as somebody who doesn't value a lot of things, and if you're going to give the dragon dragon binder horn to a brother who hates you and send him on the other side of the world to uh, pick up. Your soon-to-be bride, by the way, um, or, or at least he thinks that that's his soon-to-be bride. You would think that if he had the power to um, spy on them, that he would. Yeah. So if he does, he's either doing it through the dusky woman or through a glass candle. Glass candle um, makes more sense. <laughs> I don't like the glass. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the dusky woman angle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, there's a great post on Reddit that about Euron being a Eurothon Nightwalker. Yeah. I had actually just mentioned in that one quote about the Phantom Phantom yeah. Tortoises. So that one makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Another one from Eric. He says, What are the mechanics of the visions of the shade of the evening? For instance, when Aaron Greyjoy potentially sees the future, when Euron forces him to drink, is it a deity sending it? So this is one of those really interesting things 
Um, even when you look back at Danny's House of the Undying visions when she's on the shade evening, where are they coming from? You mentioned that the House of the Undying, when she takes it, resembles a maze. I actually once tried to map it out. Like if you went this far and then you took a right and you always went up the stairs, and you always went up, went up to the right. Essentially, the building itself would have to be like an enormous 4D like like structure. And we know the House of the Undying is like a little low building. So obviously there's some strange things going on there. But an important part of Shay the Evening and Esperon and his other stories is that when you take it, it essentially opens your minds to other people. So my thoughts on the visions from the Shay of the Evening that Danny was receiving was not from like a deity or the world itself, that it was probably the undying putting visions in her head because they essentially like unlock the door of her mind kind of thing. And it's probably the same thing with Aaron Greyjoy, where it might be Euron who's messing with his brain, that he's sending him visions and memories and stuff like that in order to terrify him. But what do you think? That's my thought. Okay, so um, there is this book by H.P. Lovecraft, and it's called The uh, Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. <laughs> and in order to, and uh, according to the book, uh, some um, places are only accessible on the dream plane. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's and, true. Uh, and it's pretty interesting because there's, there's some pretty cool references to Lang and some other things that I talk about in my maze maker, um, video. But one of the things that we learn about people who, um, are skin changers or who have their third eye, um, is that, uh, for most people, their third eye only opens when they're asleep. Mm. Um, when, when, eyes are closed your third eye will flutter open and your mind will wander and that's why uh, Arya has all these wolf dreams and why Bran has all these wolf dreams is because it's all happening on the dream plane right and so um and that's basically what's happening and uh that's why it's so important to have areas of darkness so that your third eye can open and that's why the religion of Boash walks up Around blind mm-hmm. so that their third eye can open. Uh, and so one of the things that uh, the substances do is it weds you to the tree and it makes you able to um, access that magic when you're conscious, right. you can make decisions when you're not on the dream plane. And so, um, and so that's pretty interesting. So when Euron is actually accessing those things, um, and that's why Danny's able to like ask them questions and interact because she's still conscious. Right. She's able to um, kind of uh, interact with uh, the undying instead of everything just playing out without her knowing it. Mm-hmm. So um, and so anyway, uh, the, the thing that is really cool with Shade of the Evening or Weirwood Pace is that uh, it weds you to the tree and it makes you able to open your third eye without being on that dream plane. There's also a really interesting thing. If you go back and do a close reading of the house, the undying number one, when Danny's running out, the dream stops and she sees what it actually looks like. So that, that, that goes to your point that she was essentially seeing another world, probably a dream world. But another really funny thing, I wrote this up on Reddit a while ago. Drogon gets high too. Drogon is seeing the same things, but Drogon did not have any shade of the evening, which implies that um, Danny and Drogon are some somehow mentally connected because why would he be suffering the effects of a drug he did not drink? Well, you know, that's very interesting. And, you know, Septon Barth, I think made a connection between skin changing and, um, and the control of dragons when he wrote, um, a natural history, because, um, 
the the full title of it is dragons, worms, and wyverns. They're in natural history, and it's all about dragons. Um, so it's there is mention of Septon Barth talking about the nature of skin changing and man's control of ravens. Yeah. So why is talking about skin changing and man's control of ravens in a book that's about dragons? So the answer is is that he probably made a, he was making a connection between dragon bond and mm-hmm. skin changing. So it's quite possible that Danny has um, something similar. I'm not saying that it is skin changing because George R. R. Martin has basically said it's not skin changing. Something, something else, different. but something similar. But, yeah. yeah, it's different but similar. It's similar enough to, that a really smart guy decided to make some comparisons as well. There you um, go. It's it's one of the, really go back and read that chapter again, you guys that are watching. Watch Drogon. He 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 sees everything Danny does. He reacts to things that are not there. So it's like, wow. Not only that, but apparently, if you are a skin changer and you take a, a hallucinogenic, then your your animal experiences too. Which means uh, <laughs> Summer was probably losing his mind when Bran took the weirwood paste. What did he see? Probably quite a lot of weird things. Exactly. Oh, and when we go back, because I said that I would tell you about the uh, blue heart beating oh, yes, corruption go. above the table. <laughs> um, so in that, in that scene, um, Danny sees above the table where the undying are enthroned, mm-hmm. um, a blue heart um, beating full of corruption. So um, we have to remember that Danny is an unreliable narrator in that mm-hmm. scene and um, that what she's seeing may not actually be there, but it may be some sort of vision or it, it may be um, uh, something that is trying to be symbolic. And it, what it, it really is telling us is their connection to heart trees. Uh, it's, it's a, and also um, the nature of the shade of the evening, because it's a heart full of, corruption mm. which um goes back to that um spoiled foul poisoned wordplay that we have talked about in the past um and when uh zar uh not zaro's own daxos um when Pyat pre is instructing danny before she enters the house of the undying it said um to write uh, every word that the undying say upon your heart mm. uh, as well and of course um the werewoods are associated with um, knowledge and retaining memories and all this other stuff. So the the information you're supposed to write upon your heart, and then she, she goes to the undying. She sees a heart um, beating full of corruption and all this other stuff. So it's uh, very symbolic, and it is basically trying to the author trying to show the reader the connection um, between the werewoods and also the shade of the evening as well in a more um, uh, abstract way. That makes sense. Uh, we got a super chat here or PayPal here from Aaron. Uh, this is a question for you, Amanda. She says, awesome stream. Could Amanda talk a little bit about Archmaester Emma's idea that the shady evening trees feed off life, whereas the weirwoods feed oh, off of death? Oh, good. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, there uh, I had talked a li- in, um, I'd guessed it on Amy Blackfire's um, YouTube channel talking about uh, the corruption of the werewolf net. And Emma made an excellent comment. I had posted a question because um, we know werewolves feed on blood, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of uh, put out there and it, it's a concept that it's pretty well established. Werewolves feed on blood. 
Um, but we don't see any sacrifices being made to the shade of the evening tree. Uh, and so it's my question was what what's powering it? You know, what is what if, if the werewoods feed on knowledge, uh, you know, if the werewoods feed on blood, mm-hmm. what what's the shade tree? What's powering it? What's it, you know, where does this power come from? And Maester, um, Archmaester Emma, and she's just, I love her to death. She, um, such a smart gal. Mm-hmm. I love her. And uh, she's like, well, you know, maybe it's life because werewoods, in a sense, feed on death. And, um, you know, it's the, the blood of, of a dead person. Mm-hmm. Whereas they, when they were trying to feed off Danny, they weren't after her blood, they were after her life and her right. essence. And all those other things. And um, what it said that the ancient ruin of ruin of uh, Lang, some people just never come back. And uh, um, it's uh, and I think that some people in the house of the end dying, it's also mentioned never come back as well. So it's potentially that they feed off of life while the werewolves feed off of death. So we have that inversion as mm-hmm. well. So it's like ice and fire, life and death. Um, you know, uh, black bark and white bark and sure. red leaves and blue leaves. So it's another inversion. And, and I think I thought it was very, very poignant because we don't see anybody sacrificing to the shade of the evening tree. And if it is an evil, corrupt, horrible, awful tree, uh, you would think that they'd be sacrificing people to it. Maybe so, they are just grabbing yeah, street and urchins. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. You never know. But, uh, but yeah, I think that Emma made a really good poignant comment about that. So that's a good call. Um, Let's see here. Um, oh, this one's from Ramona Zamfir. Uh, she's put this on the Slack. She wants to know. There's actually a similar question earlier about Aaron. Uh, she wants to know, what do you think Euron's first experience with Shade Evening tasted like? What do you think? What, what tastes came to him after he had it? If he's anything like me, it probably tastes like mayonnaise. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, I think you made a good point, uh, Matt, that uh, it probably tastes... Um, like something, you know, very personal to the reader. So mm-hmm. whatever, you know, foul tasting experiences they've had in the past, uh, it, it would probably be similar to that. So for me, it'd be in mayonnaise. Um, I don't know what you're on would, would think tastes awful. Um, but, uh, but whatever it is, that's whatever you're on thinks is disgusting. That's probably what it tastes like. What does he, I don't think Euron thinks anything's disgusting. He thinks it's all on the table. He's just like, Oh, everything's fine. Everything's good. Like, Murder's great, killing my brothers, whatever, no big deal. Oh, yeah, she was saying it tasted like uh, murder. Yeah, it tasted like murder. <laughs> but he likes murder, so it wouldn't taste like murder. What it probably he- tastes like going to, you know, going to to Drown God Church or something, you know. It, it, uh, oh, maybe it smelled like his dad because he hates his dad. Yeah, well, maybe. Um, there you go. And then it started maybe. tasting good, and at which point it would taste like every horrible thing in the world to us. Yeah, you're exactly. you're on. The thing about Euron is like he's he is such a blank slate in terms of like what do, what does he like actually enjoy in life? I don't know if he enjoys anything. He just seems like he enjoys um he, he it's like instead of actually having things that he likes, he just finds joy in causing pain. So it's like I don't know would it would it uh, it's so hard to get inside his head that I don't even know what he would like. But a guilty undertaker makes the point that Aaron doesn't think it tasted like much at all, which I thought was interesting. But it may just be the fact that Aaron is so like he's been tortured and there's like 
there's so little going on with him at that point. He's basically well, like giving up on they're, life. They're feeding him maggot filled bread at, yeah. the, at the same time. Like, um, like what they're giving him to eat. If you read that, it's like a, a stuff that's already been spoiled and um, like maggot, like maggot. So we got used bread. to the taste. So compared to the other stuff he's been fed, it's it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, he's just like, oh yeah, this is like what I've been eating already. This is cool. Uh, <laughs> Bernie, she wanted to know: Are the people who consume Shane of the Evening sacrificing something, like their sanity or their souls? Does something other gain information from the people who partake? Or is it basically just turning them evil and insane after prolonged use enough? So this is kind of the idea that when you drink it, is are you is something being taken from you? Is there like a cost to it? Uh poor uh, puppies. Yeah. They I'm still gonna want put you. them in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> They're invading my personal space right now. They're trying to get your hold attention. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Um, so I'll, I'll keep going with that one while Amanda's taking care of her adorable, adorable pups. Um, I think like go. they do lose their, their hold on reality, but I don't think it's like, I don't think anything's, I don't think they're being fed on in a sense, like the house. I don't think the, the shade, the evening trees are gaining the sanity that they're losing or anything like that. But, um, anything but since they, they seem to connect to like this other dream realm or something like that, when they're awake, when they drink it, um, it may be that their minds are more open than they used to be. Like one of the weirdest uh, scenes in all of the Song of Ice and Fire is when Jamie sleeps against the weirwood tree. And then all of a sudden during his dreams, his entire life, essentially gets like rewound in front of him and everything that's ever happened to him. Now, it could just be him having a very strange dream, but it could also be that like sleeping against the weirwood opens you up to the green seers in a way they normally wouldn't. And that could just sort of be what's going on with the shade of the evening where your mind can be invaded. And that may be the thing that's driving people insane that they no longer know the border between their own mind and those that are messing with them. You know, I think that those are some really good points. Um, one of the things that I saw, at least with the show, um, is when Bran is given all of the uh, memories of the last Green Seer, he's basically given a, a download of all of the yeah. history of all of the werewoods and um, and everything, and and it changed him. It changed his personality. It changed his character. And of course, Bran is still in there, but mm. all of the other everybody else is in there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I. I um, am curious as to if a similar download is going to happen in the books. I think it will, because I don't think we're going to see Bran in that cave perpetually for the entire book series, nope. um, especially if King Bran is going to to play out in the books as well. So he's so that's going to have to happen. And so you could consider that. Um, I don't know if I would consider that madness, but you definitely see a change in personalities and with Danny, with the information that she's given, it, like I said, it's like the seeds of distrust have been sowed and mm-hmm. that does mess with, with you. Um, and so if if you know your future, it, it can change uh, yeah. your perception of things. It can change the things that you do. It can change so many things about you. And if you're living your life in suspicion, it, it's, it's definitely going to... Um, take its toll in the long run because you're going to, you know, go through all of your interactions or 
is this person going to be one of the betrayals? Should I, you know, is this what the undying were talking about? Was it this, was it that? Um, so in, in that respects, I, I do think that it, it could cause madness. So uh, it, I guess we'll have to see. I don't think that that's, I don't think that that was the intention, at least with Weirwood Paste, uh, mm-hmm. but with man on, on the associate side with the shade of the evening, because I do think that it was probably something that was caused by a man to cause this poisoning. Um, I don't think that that was the intention, but that, that could actually be a, a thing that yeah. happens with people who ingest too much of it. Like the thing so. with, with patch race could essentially be that he found himself being invaded by the hive mind and that just broke his brain because he no longer mm-hmm. knows what's the difference between the dream world and the real, in the real world. That seems to be essentially what's happening with the undying where their perception of reality even Danny's perception of them is like, you see how they view themselves. They view themselves as fabulous wizards and glittering knights and beautiful women and with like the weird carthine one boob thing. But then when Danny sees them in reality, they're like these weird blue mummified things. And it essentially becomes like a preference for this dream world over time. And that, I guess that's what it takes from you. It takes the spice of life out. If you're if. Something like that. Pardon the pun. Yeah. Uh, so one last question we had here. This is one from Twitter, one that you were very excited to talk about. Uh, this is from Liam B um, at Connithologist, Connithologist on Twitter. They um, talking about how the Weirwoods might have had green leaves before the long night. Do you think the same mm-hmm. thing might have happened to the SOC trees? Or do you think a possible change in color was caused whatever caused the long night or a reaction to it? You kind of, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but have the platform, Amanda. Say yeah, something. Yeah, so I, I touched on it a bit. Um, basically, we have we know that the shade of the evening turns people blue. Like their skin is blue. You know, they're blue. Da 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 da. Um, you know, they're they're blue men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we we have blue men over there in Esos, and it's because they're adjusting the shade of the evening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the green men are incredibly mysterious people. Um, have people have theorized about them, but you know, it, it's hard to make sense of these people with this green skin and um, described as wearing antlers. But um, th- if we have people that are blue in the series because they're ingesting shade of the evening, if these people, these green people associated with weirwoods <laughs> are green. Well, it's quite possible that these green men are green for the same reason the blue people are blue. It's because they ingested too much werewood paste. So with that being said, it's possible that the trees were green at one time and something happened. So um, they were always these creepy white, uh, white bark with red leaves, with uh, faces, dripping, sappy, bloody eyes and, and mouths. They might have been a more something more in kin with what you um might see as more common in nature uh, and something must have probably happened along the way. Was it the, the hammer of the waters or the long night? Um, was it, did it have something to do with the pact or uh, the, some of the sacrifices that would have been made by the first men of the children? Um, it's hard to say, but some, I, I do think that something happened and there's a lot of different hints towards that. Um, so uh, I am going to make a video about it. Um, and uh, it, that should be coming. I'm going to make one video before that, uh, but the script's already written and yeah. right, the, it's my green man goes <laughs> ready to go. I'm just, 
I'm a little bit more excited about something else right now and I can't stop writing about it. So, so that'll, that video will come first. And then uh, the Green Man video will come second. And I've got like two more videos, uh, you know, in my mind to after that. So um, be looking out for content. I'll I'll be making something. And there is some there's some stuff in the books that are not tree related that kind of go to the idea like Theon essentially has like acquired the coloring of the Weirwoods through torture from Ramsay. His hair's gone white. He has like his bloody stumps of his on his hands and his toes from when Ramsay cut them off. Um, also, weirwoods themselves, their coloring kind of reminds people of vampires, which shouldn't be that surprising. George loves writing about vampires. They're kind of like vampire trees, especially with the drinking of the blood. Um, so maybe uh, I made that video a long time ago that I'm probably going to make at some point the white trees like the W.I.G.H.T. that they're undead, basically, because they seem undead. They function like the same way Beric does, where it's like. As far as we know, Beric could go on forever if he hadn't given up his life for Lady Stoneheart. Like he doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he just exists. And it seems like sort of a similar thing going on with the Weirwoods. Um, although I don't know if you were watching when I was talking about the. Were you watching the Weirwood stream that I did? Uh, yeah, I think I was actually. Yeah, um, I, I, I sometimes come in in the middle, but yeah. I, I think I was there. Yeah, uh, there was the the idea of the Green Men just being children of the forest living in essentially because you know, like the, the God's eye it's so deep in order for there to be an Island in the middle, essentially has to be an underground mountain or an underwater mountain. And we know that children love living in those areas. I thought that the green men were probably just like another native children of the forest population that escaped, um, the, the gaze of the humans because it's so hard to get there. And the green men, as we know them are guys like, um, like uh, Howland Reed that just go and commune with them. And I don't know, maybe they, just, they scare people off. That kind of thing kind of happens. I mean, the children of the forest already do kind of have strange coloring to them anyway. So if you can't see what's on the island because you can't get that close, then you could probably be you could probably understand why people would think there's like weird antler looking guys on the island. It's like instead, it's just a bunch of children making <laughs> like crows come up and attack you. So you never get a good look. I mean, they are pretty. um pretty severe these days about making sure nobody can find them. You know, um, one thing that I wanted to add, uh, because I, I don't know if it's going to make the green man video, mm -hmm. um, is something that Archmaester Emma had pointed out. And, um, George loves Arthurian myth. He really does. Oh, the green There's myth, a yeah. lot of it in there. It's why we have, um, Arthur Dane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uthor Hightower. And of course, yeah, the green knight, um, which he, he does with friendly who mm -hmm. um, wears the green armor that's sent to look like, a, you know, be the color of, of leaves, by the way. Um, but uh, um, one thing that she noticed is in, um, in Mallory's writing in La Morte Arthur, um, which if you um, talk to, if you look at the Sospake Martins about the Arthurian legend, it, it's always Mallory that he's referring to. Mm -hmm. Like if he's talking about Balin or Balan, um, it's always Mallory. And he's, he cited uh, Mallory as an influence as well. Um, so in Mallory's um, La Morte de Arthur, uh, the death of Arthur, uh, there is a tale of Cain and Abel. And I've actually written about Kinsling and the fratricidal um, uh, undertones throughout the series, mm -hmm. but uh, in the story of Cain and Abel as told in the Arthurian legend, uh, 
when Cain slew his brother, his blood watered the tree of knowledge. Mm. Uh, it, it, so, which is like a weirwood, right? Right. His his blood had watered the tree of knowledge and had turned it from green to um, a tree of, of red leaves. And when you take a look at um, how the trees are, are described with bloody hands, it's like saying that they have uh, blood on their hands. Yeah, that's true. So uh, there's, there's some pretty cool things. And it said that a, a blood portrayal between um, with fratricide, it was the cause of the long night as well. So um, I, I, not sure how I'm going to be able to incorporate that. It may actually be a later video, but it's Make very interesting. There you go. Um, when you look at all the different associations, but yeah, the tree of knowledge went from green to red as well. That's so. interesting. Um, actually, Jaded Redhead in the chat brought up a good point. She says, I'm weird with colored. I'm pale as fuck with red on top. And I'm, that's probably not that far off because George does have a thing for pale redheads. And in fact, he's married to one. Paris is a redhead who's pretty pale herself, his wife. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of the reason he did it that way. He has, he does have a thing. I mean, there's <laughs> throughout a song of ice and fire. There are quite a lot of like the idea of kiss by fire is a very romantic way of thinking about red hair. So that's probably not that far from the truth that he made that coloring on purpose. Cause it reminds him of what he has a preference for in the end. Um, Let's see here. I think that's about it. Um, let's do some uh, do some plugs and stuff, and then we'll get out of here. We went a little bit over on time because there's just too much to talk about for something that appeared on only one page. So you, you talked about what you have coming up, right, man? You have a uh, uh, yeah, videos? I've got a I've got some stuff in the yeah. works. So check that out and uh, follow me on Twitter at crowfood underscore sd. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun. It's always a good time. And uh, as for what I have coming up, obviously, the like I talked about earlier, the what's Lady Stoneheart? What's her real plan in the Winds of Winter? That'll be coming up um, relatively soon. The Sand Kings analysis, which actually has quite a lot of connections with the Song of Ice and Fire, including the idea of the faces. The, the, the faces in Sand Kings is one of the earliest examples I can think of where the Weirwood faces showed up in George's writing. It, it shows up unbelievably in Sand King's a, um, a very strange sci-fi story about a bunch of not quite bugs, but kind of bugs. It, it's the same kind of thing. Um, so that will be coming up soon. And I haven't planned for next week yet, uh, but I do have a collaboration coming up uh, on somebody else's podcast. I'll be recording tomorrow. Um, look out for that. That'll be a fun one. A very different topic, too. And yeah, make sure you do all the things like comment, subscribe. Um, we got to the end of the video. So I don't know what, what questions should the people answer, Amanda? What question do you have for the, for those that have watched? Oh, what question should the people answer? Well, yeah. they should answer your poll. Answer my poll. Oh yeah. Okay. That's let me, right. Let me go back and grab that one. <laughs> okay. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's such a pain getting to the community tab these days. Um, Okay, so the the poll that she's talking about, uh, actually, can I just link this? No, I have to go to channel YouTube studio to get it. <sighs> they make it so complicated. Well, just uh, when it, whenever you're done, he talks about the beginning of the stream. So just <sighs> go to the beginning of the stream, right? Oh, I got it. I got it. Here it is. Okay. I have. Let me put it in the in the chat there. So the basic question is, um, 
What do you think the shaded evening trees actually are? The options are corrupted weirwoods, maybe ebony or ironwood trees, which you made a pretty good case for them being ironwoods that eventually got morphed into something else. Um, I said the trees from H.P. Lovecraft's Out of Space, but they could just be like, he has a lot of very strange trees and gods and things like that masquerade as nature and his thing. So it could be something, it doesn't have to be those specific trees, but something like that. Uh, the other option is I have no idea. <laughs> and then the last one is whatever Amanda says. So that would probably be corrupted weirwoods at this point. Oh, thank you, Julie Beth. Uh, a last second uh, super chat, $5. You guys rock. Thank you for the excellent discussion though. Thank you, Julie Beth. Um, I think that's, for, that's about it. Uh, I will see you guys later. Thank you for hanging out with us this Saturday afternoon.